does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. I enjoy the digging. I enjoy – it's been fun to be around our – especially our offensive staff, who's – they're all new, um, to get to know them. Um, Jim Bob's really talented. It's been fun to be around him, spend time with him, how his mind works, what he sees, you know, how he thinks. Same thing with Shane. Um, it's been it's been an interesting process, and I, I enjoy that. Like, I don't – I think y'all feel the pressure more than I do sometimes. I don't – you know, when you do the work – the pressure is not as great as what people make it out to be. Doesn't mean you're always going to be right, but when you put the work in, there's not a lot of angst within you. I mean, I do, and I think any pick in the draft, like every time you're taking a player, it's a there's a lot riding on it. You know, like if you create that own anxiety within yourself, that's when you start to doubt. That's just not in me. It's just not. No pressure. No pressure at all in this draft. Mm-hmm. Might be the most pressure-packed draft we have. It is a day away, and we might be wall-to-wall draft coverage today here on the Midday Show on The Fan. Hi, everybody. I'm Will Haskett. That's Jimmy Cook. It's also Eddie Garrison over there on a beautiful Wednesday. We welcome you inside the drivehubler.com studios. For those of you on YouTube, flags are still here. Don't worry. Uh, green flag racing. The mayonnaise is in the fridge, and it will likely stay there the entire show for those of you that were around for the plop this morning on the morning show with KB and Jake. Uh, I only have water, and I don't think water and mayo is going to mix. Like oil and water, what will mix when it comes to the draft picks tomorrow? (laughs) Again, we are wall-to-wall today talking about the draft. Ross Tucker at the bottom of the hour here. Um, We've got Luke Easterling from Athlon Sports at 2 o'clock, and then Joel A. Erickson from The Star coming up at 1 o'clock here with all of the various questions, which I'm not sure how much more interesting things get. I think with all of the noise about Jimmy over the last week, two weeks, three weeks, five weeks, it's it's easy now to even go back and view comments and visits and everything and overanalyze things. But it seems as if right now, today is the day where you really kind of put all of that in a blender. You spin it up and you say, okay, what do we really know and what do we think is going to happen tomorrow? Because this is a monumental pick for the Colts. And I understand the thoughts that you heard from Chris Ballard there in the opening. They have done as much work as anybody. They have done whatever we talk about for three hours today and three hours yesterday, quadruple that, multiply that by 10. That's how many hours they have spent analyzing what they want to do with the fourth overall pick. They have to be nimble to adapt to things that might happen in front of them coming up tomorrow night at the draft. But I do understand his thought of, we have an idea that is the best idea for us. We are committed to that. We've put in the work. So there's no quote unquote pressure. The pressure then really becomes making that pick work when he gets into the building and he becomes the quarterback of this franchise. And if you believe what we have seen or heard and may even talk about with some of our guests coming up today, there are not one, not two, but maybe three quarterbacks that are going to be available for the Colts without even having to move up when they draft at four. And that is where all of this work that doesn't have any quote-unquote pressure on it is going to pay off tomorrow. Uh, uh, This is my last show of the week I still don't know who they're. I, I still don't have a guess as to who would be the likely pick. Maybe I'll throw one out there at the end of the show. But Jimmy, it's it's really time. The rubber meets the road coming up tomorrow night. We remember our college days. Everybody prepares differently. Everybody studies differently. Cram a lot of cramming. 
I believe Chris Ballard, truthfully, when he says that his style, like most GMs, is repair as much as you possibly can to the point that nothing is going to surprise you and you're ready to go for your test. In this case, it's the NFL draft. The bigger question, though, is has the right material been studied? And what I mean by that is there's been a ton of time put together, but ultimately the answer to the hypothetical test question is going to be made by Chris Ballard, Shane Steichen, and Jim Irsay tomorrow night. Yep. Have they made the right choice? Have they made the right selection? Because I fully believe they've prepared, and I actually believe Chris Bauer when he says he doesn't feel a ton of pressure because of the preparation that he's done. I I believe that. I think you have to have that mentality as a general manager, but it doesn't immediately equal that the right pick is going to be made tomorrow. Will we know on Friday if the right pick was made? No, because you're going to have to give the prospect time to grow and develop. The but, separation is in the preparation. Exactly. Jimmy. Exactly. To quote the great Shane Steichen, the separation is in the preparation. So, yes, I believe I thought you were going to give me iron sharpens iron because I've heard that enough after uh, the Sun Series last night. But thank you for that. But yeah, so they, they're ready. Fully believe they're ready. I fully believe there's confidence in that room. But that does not mean that they're going to knock it out of the park. It's not a guarantee. No. Only thing you can dictate at this point if you're the Colts is the scouting you've done and the brave face you're going to have when you approach the media. Yeah, I think you make a great point. Have they studied the the right things? I think they studied all of the things. Yes. And that's what makes this draft tomorrow so interesting is it depends on what you want. It depends on what you want to look at. If you're grading this draft on upside potential at the position and that's your number one focus, they may say that they feel that one prospect has the greatest upside. I think if you look at it across the board, there's a singular prospect, Richardson, who has the greatest upside from where he's coming from, but that doesn't mean he's necessarily going to achieve it. They may think that Will Levis has the greatest upside or that C.J. Stroud has the greatest upside. It, it, it depends on how you interpret those results because all four of these quarterbacks are flawed in some way on paper. And we've had a lot of quarterbacks that aren't flawed on paper that didn't pan out either in this draft. But in this particular situation, you're talking about four quarterbacks that all have one particular or maybe multiple flaws, but then still make the, but the other stuff, the body of work, still makes them attractive to pick in this upper area. The other part that goes into it is there's no doubt in my mind that Chris Ballard has exhausted his resources and feels 100% comfortable in how his board has set up and how he rates that place. The question that we'll never have a true answer to, at least in the short term and probably definitely tomorrow in the midnight press conference, is was that a consensus opinion through the building 100% in a process that began before you hired your head coach on Valentine's Day? where you're already looking at quarterback prospects when you knew that you had the fourth overall pick in this draft and there was work that was already laid out and there's been a lot of national folks who have sort of pointed this out in articles when they've pointed to the fact that they think that Will Levis might be the pick for the Colts because they have were enamored with him and had some interviews and some contact and went through much of that process before they even hired their coach. What did Shane Steichen's arrival into the building do to change at all or not? We don't know what that evaluation was like for the man who's going to be tasked with working with that quarterback. We've gone back and forth on Shane Steichen going to work with every quarterback, but the most recent quarterback that he had the highest success with has a certain set of traits that would maybe be more attractive to a certain prospect in this one. This is the great unknown. It's, it's, it's incredibly fun for us to have this sort of foggy situation because here we are in the middle of April and we can literally talk for three hours about it and we can go around in circles and that's great for our business 
It'd be totally different if this was three years ago and the Colts had the number one overall pick and we've known for three months that Joe Burrow was going to be their guy. You know? I mean, we'd have no content today. We'd be yeah. talking about Warriors Kings, by the way, tonight on The Fan at 9.30 Eastern Time as part of a four-pack of great NBA games. And Trey Young, would he be more popular if he didn't come after Steph Curry? Like These would be the topics that we'd be talking <laughs> about right now in this show if they had the number one overall pick in a draft class with a clear number one, where this one seems to have a clear number one right now, but it's still not even as solid as many draft classes before. So that's where I'm... Very curious, and we I will never get answers to my curiosity of what was the consensus like in the building for whoever gets picked tomorrow. And because I do believe this draft board may shake out a little bit differently than everybody expected a couple of weeks ago, how do the Colts react to that change in a world where the second pick may end up having a bigger trickle-down impact than we all originally anticipated. The other aspect of this draft that we've skated around a little bit because the talking point will always be the questions at quarterback and is there finally an answer there. But we posed the situation yesterday if it's Levis and Richardson and they both pan out, what does it mean for Chris Ballard? Or Sorry, if they both don't pan out, what does it mean for Chris Ballard? I mean, they're flops, but it was a rock and a hard place. What were the Colts supposed to do? And while I can't simulate out what that would mean for Chris Ballard, if it's like, well, you took your swing, but the other guy didn't pan out either, so it's a wash. It's okay. You're fine. We're going to keep you here. Regardless of if that happens or not, the larger test in terms of the total body of work for the Colts moving forward is them hitting on their second, third, and fourth round picks. Because let's just say for the sake of argument, the quarterback is a miss. Yeah, You need to have the other pieces in place for whatever your restart or reset button is in two years, in three years, whatever the case may be. There needs to be strides made across the board in terms of this rebuild or retool or whatever you want to call it for the Colts. Yeah, You need to hit across the board everywhere. Quarterback's most important, but if you miss on the quarterback and you miss on everybody else, then I'm starting to pack bags. Yeah, it, it, you're right. And how... I mean. You can do all the homework, and it's it's an unfair business, right? You can do all of your homework on all the players, and they can hit every single marker, and it can still go up in flames because yeah. of a knee injury. You know, should the entire Los Angeles Clippers front office be fired because Kawhi Leonard's knees can't stay healthy? Like, no, right? Like, you know what the you know what he's capable of. He won a title with significantly less talent on a roster in Toronto. And they bow out last night, and then we find out that he's got another torn meniscus this time, and I think the opposite knee of the one that he went down on a couple of years ago. Like, Is that fair to the front office because you didn't live up to expectations because of injury? If you draft a quarterback at number four and he rips his shoulder out or his kidney gets lacerated or he decides he doesn't want to take a beating in a couple of years. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting to try and judge that. They know that comes with the territory. It's why they're highly compensated. Um it's. It will come down to the development of this quarterback, and you're right. The later picks matter because this is a roster that needs to get better to where even if you get the quarterback position quasi-right, if you build everything else around him the right way, you can still be successful. And that, to me, has been an interesting development in reading way too many articles 
and opinions about how this class is because we find ourselves in some cases in like a CJ Stroud freefall right now, which is sort of an, an amazing thing for a guy that a month ago everybody was saying, yeah, he's probably going to be the number one pick to the Panthers. That's why they moved up. They moved up to get the big quarterback with the great arm. And now he may be in a freefall. Why? And uh, well, we're going to talk about Russ Tucker about this at the bottom of the hour. I thought he talked about this really well with Jake and Kevin when he was on the morning show a couple of days ago. It's just because he had perfect everything in front of him, you hold that against the guy. Because he had a good offensive line, because he had weapons, because he was never really under attack, you don't know what he, if the breakdown is, and other Ohio State quarterbacks before him haven't had sort of success. Well, okay, let's apply that same logic to Will Levis. The year that everything broke down around him, he made a lot of bad decisions. Threw the ball away, took a lot of sacks he shouldn't have taken. I can use, I can weaponize any positive or negative against every prospect in this class and flip it and talk about somebody else. It's not even it's, it's not even a gifted argumentative skill. It's just it's right there on the table yep. for us to take one thing, whoever you like, and turn and flip it on the other. So we don't really know. And everybody in this town, everybody in this on these airwaves are going to react positively or negatively to whatever the pick is tomorrow. And we, we you're absolutely right. We don't know. But it's a fascinating spot to be in at this point in time. And it sounds as if, based off of what little we've heard from Chris Ballard, that they are comfortable in their analysis and that they have everything right in front of them sort of set in a much more domino effect way than we are right now. Because if I'm, and we're going to do this later, we're going to have a fun little exercise coming up in the second hour where we are going to do our own little, if we were in a certain position of power inside the Colts organization, who's the quarterback that we are taking? Because I think that's the most fascinating part of it is you know, one man or all three men that are in power in that building may have done all of the research that they need and are 100% committed to who they think should be picked. The question is, is that a consensus opinion? I'm looking forward to that. Again, as we'll mention, that'll be at 1.30 when we go through that process, trying to simulate what it would be like within our own war room. And going back to just Chris Boward in a larger scale, he knows, and I think the Colts are aware of it, that this is a... I don't want to call it a new lease on life because I don't know how in jeopardy his job ever really was. There was a lot of talk and chatter last year about both him and Reich. There were discussions of, well, should they have let them both go when they let go of Reich? Why did Ballard stay? And now you have a new coach in there to where Jim Ursay, realistically, even though he has the highest expectations of anybody in that building, they're not winning anything next year. They're building next year. Yeah. And not to say they couldn't win the South. When I say winning something, I should quantify it. They're not winning a Lombardi trophy next year. Right? It would take an astronomical just mayhem move and the quarterback they take to be instantly as good as Burrow Mahomes or Josh Allen, just to name a few, yeah. for that to happen. Doesn't mean you can't have things to be happy about. Doesn't mean you couldn't maybe contend and fight your way in the South. But next year is a, and should be if you're a Colts fan, a low expectation year. I'm not saying that the fan base as a whole has to, year after year after year, lower their expectations. But if you're setting the bar that, oh yeah, they're going to go contend for a Super Bowl next year, you're likely going to be disappointed. Yep. The Colts can say all they want about this not being, or they don't like the word rebuilding, or they don't like that mentality. And I get that for a veteran player. You're hungry, you've gone through it before, and you don't want to go through it again. Yep. But it's the reality of the situation. And whether they take Stroud, whether they take Levis, or whether they take Richardson, we are all banking on, and we've said that time and time again, on Shane Steichen's track record, not just with the most recent quarterback and skill set you mentioned, like Jalen Hurts, 
but the fact that he has been involved, however much credit you want to give him, with high productive years, career level years of multiple different styles of quarterbacks over his time in the NFL. So there's reason for optimism still if you're a Colts fan, even if the quarterback you want doesn't get taken and they go a different direction, they take Will Levis or C.J. Stroud or Anthony Richardson. They need to and they will address the other flaws on this roster. They need an answer at corner. I would like another aggressive weapon at wide receiver just because I like shiny toys. I like the ability to be able to move the ball downfield. There was a stat last Yesterday, I think that uh, Mike Chappell retweeted about plays of 20 plus yards and teams that were leading in that category yeah. last year. Colts were where you would expect bottom around, I think, 50 plays of 20 year yards or more. The, the leader was like 86. Matt Ryan couldn't throw the ball Correct. deep anymore. Correct. And so, they don't really have a stretch guy either, sure. which you'd like to see in maybe the second or third mm-hmm. round also this year. I'm 100% lockstep with Kevin Bowen on that one. I've heard a lot of guys as guests, either on this show and I'm not hosting or throughout the week, are like, well, a lot of good receivers available. They've got this big bodied guy who could be a good possession guy. But no, 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 no. I, we need someone over the top. Sure. This roster needs an over the top guy. And I'm I'm fine with a high size wide receiver. Got to be able to move. They have to. Yes, they yeah. have to have the agility. They have to have the speed. I'm talking about. I know this is a perfect world, but if I'm creating a big wide receiver that can do all that in the lab, I, I'm talking about a guy like at this point DK Metcalf. Right. Yeah. If if we're looking for like a perfect prototype for that, I'm not saying that's in this draft, but. You know, that's what you want if you want size and a totally a guy that can go up and high point the ball, but also has the speed and separation to get downfield. I think this is also the part where, you know, this whole entire draft process began with are the Colts going to be a player to move up to number one? We've litigated that argument now so much to where it's sort of ridiculous to think that we were at a position at any point where we were angry about not giving up what Carolina or the equivalent of what Carolina gave up to move granted from nine to one instead of four to one, but it still would have been significantly over slot value that the Colts would have had to give up. And the way that this has played out, if you believe a lot of the smoke that's out there is that staying at four is probably going to be the right decision for the Colts. If it, if, if you think that they were rating everybody somewhat equally or close to Bryce Young, I know you and I've had this conversation. It's not worth it for us to go back down this sort of road. But if we believe that two may be a defensive pick, that three include could also be a defensive pick for two teams that aren't looking quarterback, if you really believe all of that, then staying put and maintaining your draft capital and resources, not just this year but next year, gives you the best opportunity to do what exactly is you're talking about, and that is plug as many holes as possible with as many potential difference-making players, whereas if you had to give up your second-round pick to go all the way to number one and a future first or whatever it might have been, if you had to give up a third and a fifth to get up just one spot to Arizona's, and you think, well, you know what? Four might end up working out for us because no one's willing to pay what it's going to cost to get in these slots behind the Colts. I still don't know if that's going to happen. I think you have to have a contingency plan if A, Stroud does go off the board at two to Houston, that they've been rope-a-doping us this entire time through whatever the smokescreen is that's out there, (laughs) and they end up taking a quarterback, which then adds value immediately. I think there's – I don't know which move actually – provides more value to Arizona, who seems like the team more likely to move out of their slot. If Stroud goes before, which means if you want to get a quarterback, then all of a sudden Indianapolis and somebody else, if you're really enamored with one of the two remaining guys, three has value. Or if Stroud's falling to three, does that mean that that pick has more value? I actually could make an argument again for both, that Arizona wants either of those scenarios to play out if they truly want to maximize their draft capital. But again, my larger point here is that I think Indy has 
sort of lucked in some ways if you believe where these mocks are taking us into a position where they get to maintain more resources than I originally thought they were going to have if they wanted to get a quarterback in here. Well, it's the domino effect that you mentioned earlier of where they're at at four, right? Because if the mocks are right and they have their pick of the litter of Stroud, of Richardson, of Levis, then yes, it's it's, it's an aces situation for the Colts. You didn't have to give up top tier assets, any assets at all to have a choice of who you really wanted except for Bryce Young and you're telling yourself you weren't going to make that payment anyway. If Stroud does go at two or somebody else trades up to two or three and gets Stroud, whether the Colts take Levis or Richardson at that point, assuming that's who's left at four, that is where long term, not immediately after the draft, but long term criticisms can go against this organization i'd like to add this in here matt miller we had him on the show on uh, monday he said an nfl manager uh, general manager told espn that there is quote no one worth trading up for when asked about trading for the second or third overall yeah. picks adds that while the texans and cardinals might want to trade down from their picks no nfl team is looking to trade up with them I understand that there's a million mocks and there are a million experts out there. Some have better place sources than others. There's just too much smoke over the last week and a half of the second and third picks being more defense and less likely to be moved to where I think from a Colts standpoint, you're way happier with your position at four. And again, a lot of it has to do with the fact that these quarterbacks, almost all of them beyond Bryce Young are polarizing prospects. I mean, just last night, if you're over on ESPN.com, you know, both Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay put their final actual rankings up of players. And I fell out of my easy chair last night. <laughs> Kuyper has Will Levis fourth, the fourth overall prospect, not fourth overall in a mock draft as the fourth overall prospect in the draft. Whereas, you know, Todd McShay has him outside the top 10 and behind Anthony Richardson. So you have two guys who always have split opinions on many things, but it's just interesting how much sway there is. You know, there was the, the ESPN Nation draft last night. Stephen Holder had this, the scenario play out that we're talking about right now. Two defensive players. Actually, no, excuse me. Both of the uh, those drafts had C.J. Stroud going two. A lot of the beat writers aren't believing all of the smoke that Houston's not going to actually take a quarterback, but the Colts were still able to sort of sit there and, and hang out and wait, and, and Holder took Richardson, which I think has been the popular media play. I don't know if it's the popular West 56 play when it's all said and done. That is fascinating that, because again, I'm not saying no mock draft artist or analyst or just a general architect of these mock drafts is ever perfect. And I'm not saying that Mel Kuyper necessarily holds more weight than others would. But prior to this week, when you see Will Levis up that high from anybody, it'd be easy to point to it as clicks, debate, stirring the pot, trying to rile people up. I'm not saying that. Mel Kuyper wouldn't necessarily do that for his final draft. Oh, I can tell you from like a month ago, Kuyper has been such a Levis lover. Right. Which is why, to a large point, I'm not like necessarily. He watched every single one of his starts. He says, I watched all of his starts on tape. The weirdest thing, he comped him to Matthew Stafford. Stafford couldn't move. Like, Levis can actually move. It was To me, it was a weird comp. I think it was arm talent comp. I've seen that a couple spots, but relating to his, obviously not last year. It's relating to the year where 
he wasn't dealing with full changes across the board yeah, yeah. in both the receiver room and in his quarterback. He calls him the real deal. Room. And again, look again. He had a bad year when the talent turned over, and we're going to talk to Ross Tucker in just a couple of seconds here about that. And I think that you can weigh that in a number of ways. If you put him in a good situation, you surround him with the talent that you would expect to have in an NFL roster, then maybe he thrives. But you know what? Lots of things break down. Bad things happen. Players get hurt. You want your quarterback to sometimes be able to overcome some of those things. Who knows? Again, I can show you all the strengths and all the flaws, and I can make a case for every single player. And we won't know until about a day and a half from right now when the Colts are on the clock with what we think will be the fourth overall pick. We'll talk about that pick and more with Ross Tucker next. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, Ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. What a gorgeous Wednesday. It's perfect out. Grooved the swing a little bit this morning. A month of boot camp behind me. My boy Vince got me a much higher, tighter position. It's going to be a good year. It's going to be a good season. I'm just telling you what. And there'll be a lot to talk about the golf course coming up later on this weekend when we know exactly who's going to be under center for the Indianapolis Colts coming up this year. We spent the first half an hour just doing what we've done every day for the last three months, and that is debate, 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 and go in endless circles. So we need some clarity, and who better to offer that than seven-year NFL veteran. You know him from the Ross Tucker pod. He's on Westwood One, works with the Eagles, CBS Sports. He's everywhere. He's Ross Tucker. Hey, Ross, how are you? I'm doing awesome. How are you guys doing? You fired up? Uh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, fired up. We're fired up for you. We're, um, I would say, a little punch drunk at this point in time in terms of talking about the fourth overall pick in the draft tomorrow. And, and I use the term weaponize a lot, Ross, in the first segment because I feel like we've just reached that point in time where I can take the positive traits of any of the four quarterbacks in this draft. And for the sake of the Colts, we're kind of talking about three beyond Bryce Young. And I could take the positive and turn it into a negative about somebody else or the negative on one and turn it into a positive on everybody else. How do you sort through the noise at this juncture of the draft? process um well two separate things number one you're a thousand percent correct um i too could make the argument and or counter argument for all three of those quarterbacks because we all sort of have come to a consensus on what their strengths and weaknesses are and that's sort of perception right because my guess is one of those three will end up being good one may be okay and the other one bad. And nobody really knows which one each of those three is going to be. Um, but then the other thing is nobody really has any idea what's going to happen. I, mean, I don't know if you guys saw, but I just put on Twitter, at Ross Tucker NFL, you know, I've read a lot in the last 24 hours. And evidently, guys, Will Levis <laughs> is going to go number one of the Panthers. <laughs> Number two to the Texans and number four to the Colts. Versatile. It's a timeshare. Setting an NFL record as the first player to be drafted three times in the first four picks. We need his marketing team is what we need. 
It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And it's, it's so funny, too, because it's like, I don't really think the Texans would take Levis at two at all. I think they're trying to convince the Colts to move up to two. Um, and the Colts, I mean, all these reports that they like Levis, it's because supposedly uh, the Mannings like him. I mean, like, I, I, at this point, I love the draft, but I'm kind of like, you guys, yeah. I'm just ready for it to happen. I don't know. I keep referencing my social media, at Ross Tucker NFL, but, you know, my dad was a sales guy um, for, like, 30 years, and he sold to, like, Walmart and Kmart and Target and all that. And I remember him telling me when Kmart was going out of business that Kmart was going out of business because they were stuck in the middle. Like, if people wanted the lowest price, they went to Walmart. If people wanted to go to a store like that to get something maybe a little bit nicer, they went to Target, and Kmart was just, like, in the middle. And that's my comparison for Levis. Let's say all three other than Bryce Young are there, okay, for the Colts at four. I kind of feel like if they want, like, the best pocket passer, polished, ready to go, I feel like they would draft C.J. Stroud. If they want the guy with the upside, you know, the potential that you just have to groom and he's so big and he's so fast and his arm's so strong, then I feel like that would be Robinson. I mean, I I guess I just don't really see where it would be Levis. I feel like he's – He's not either guy. He's kind of stuck in the middle. Ross, I've become reserved to the fact that I think the Colts are ultimately going to take Will Levis. That's not something I'm hearing. That's just what I think is going to happen. So when you look at what's the best case scenario for him under Shane Steichen and what you think is most likely to happen with him under Shane Steichen, what do you see from his tape? Um, Best case scenario is probably um, Josh Allen. I mean, Levis is a really put-together kid. You know, I live in central Pennsylvania, so I watched his high school video when he came to Penn State. I watched him at Penn State. You know, like three years ago, four years ago, um, Penn State had a quarterback competition between Tommy Stevens, who the Saints drafted in the seventh round, and Sean Clifford, who has, was Penn State starting quarterback the last four years. And I remember a Penn State coach saying to me, if you came to one of our practices, the guy that you would say, who the heck is that, and looks like an NFL quarterback, is Will Levis. And I think he was a true freshman then, but they're like, he looks like Troy Aikman, you know, with the throws he makes and stuff like that. Um, and so he's got – oodles, oodles of ability. The one thing I think is interesting, by the way, and I, I'm, I'm curious what you guys think, I can't think of any Hall of Fame quarterbacks that are that slapped together like him. I mean, those pictures like that he posted recently, that guy is shredded. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's a negative. I mean, look, I wish I looked like that. I wouldn't even wear a shirt when I was on TV if I looked like Levis, right? But... I do think it's kind of weird that I can't think of any, like, Hall of Fame or really good quarterbacks that were all yoked up like that. I mean, I was teammates with Brady, and all he ever talked about was pliability and flexibility, 
you know, Peyton Manning and Eli Manning uh, aren't exactly body beautiful. So I just I find that part of it interesting. I think the ceiling for him is Josh Allen. I think Josh Allen improvement is really rare. And I know that the team around him wasn't great this year, the O-line, the receivers, but he was still taking those sacks. He was still making those poor choices. He was still, um, you know, the one making some of those bad throws. There's not a big track record for guys overcoming that. I mean, Josh Allen's like the only one, I guess, to a lesser extent, Stafford, but he went one overall. To a lesser extent, maybe Jalen Hurts and the improvement he showed under Steichen, which is what the, the one dot I do connect between uh, Levis and the Colts is there's a lot of similarities between Hurts and Levis. They're both put together. They're both good runners, but maybe more like power runners than speed guys. Um, they both have been up and down throwing the football until Hurts this past year. And they both get rave reviews in terms of their, like, football character. So maybe uh, maybe Shane, who I was really impressed with the last couple of years in Philly, maybe Shane sees Levis and thinks he can do a Jalen Hurts with him. At Ross Tucker NFL to follow all of his thoughts and the media empire that is the Ross Tucker podcast and everything else. And Ross, you mentioned Shane Steichen. You mentioned a couple of quarterbacks in some of those sort of comps that Shane has worked with in his you know somewhat young NFL career. And it kind of begs the question of where we are in 2023 in the NFL too. Is do you is the best quarterback prospect one who can? pass and then run when need to run and you teach to pass I understand that every situation is sort of different we look at the various guys and what they've had in success and and Shane appearance to have the track record to be able to work with whatever those skills might be but I think you can kind of you can balance the columns of these prospects right like one guy CJ Stroud throws better than the others and can run when he needs to while the other guys could probably run and then can we tidy up the throwing like where would you if you had a pick in this draft and you wanted to pick just the the prototypical best quarterback for modern 2023 NFL football what's the balance of those traits Uh, I think it's a really good question Um, and it's why I don't think the Colts will draft CJ Stroud I think that Steichen saw the other side and he saw how valuable it is to have a quarterback that can run, even if you don't run him that much, which is why even if CJ Stroud's there at four, I don't think the Colts take him. Mm -hmm. I think they take Levis or Richardson because I think Steichen saw with Hurts the last couple years, holy crap, Offense is a lot easier if the defense is concerned about your quarterback running the football. I really, really believe that. And so um, I I think it's one of those guys. I think not only the the run threat, but what it does, the angles it gives your O-line, what it does for the passing game with the RPOs, and then even, you know, having that guy being able to scramble for a couple first downs yeah. a game. I mean, it's just, it's really hard. you you got to be so good. you got to be like Brady or Manning to, to really be a good quarterback these days if you can't run. Ross, when you're doing final evaluations and final chatter around the league between now and tomorrow night, 
Are you expecting any type of movement in terms of two and three, or do you think it's ultimately going to play out where the teams are on the board? Um, no, I, I, I think someone's going to trade to three uh, ahead of the Colts. So I, I think someone is – I think if the Texans don't take a quarterback at two, and most people seem to think they're going to take a defensive player, then I think someone is going to say we can get the second-best quarterback if we jump ahead of the Colts, whoever they think that is. And they're going to trade with Arizona, who seems pretty, I don't know if desperate's the right word, but Arizona pretty clearly wants to trade down, it seems like. And I think they will have a taker. Yeah. We had this question, too, earlier today. I don't actually know if if the Texans go defense at number two, does that make the three pick more value? Is that the ideal scenario for Arizona? Because there's a part of me that almost thinks if the Texans take C.J. Stroud, which has kind of been the initial thought before a lot of this you know last couple of weeks sort of scuttlebutt came about, if he's gone, then the lack of quarterbacks could almost prompt movement, even maybe from Indianapolis too, to just swap from four to three. I, I haven't made up my mind yet which scenario actually improves the value of number three for Arizona. Arizona. Um, that's an interesting point. Is it is it is it scarcity or is it the opportunity right. to get yeah, number two? Exactly. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a really interesting question. Um, because you could look at the other way, like you said, that if the Texans don't take one, here's the thing: if the Texans don't take a quarterback at number two. They're trading back up. I mean, the Houston Texans are not going into next year okay, with Davis Mills. With Davis yeah. Mills and Case Keenum as their quarterback. That is not happening. There will be a riot. They will, <laughs> they will sell zero season tickets. That's not happening. Now, listen, maybe they trade for Mac Jones. Maybe they get Lamar Jackson. Maybe they trade for Trey Lance. D'Amico Ryan just came from there. But... That's the one thing I think is really interesting about the Texans potentially passing on a quarterback at two is that I feel like they are then telegraphing and they're going to trade back up. And so, you know, they better have that trade worked out ahead of time. Ross, I want to jump out of the draft for a second and address another fine tweet that you can find at Ross Tucker NFL on Twitter. French fries are overrated? They are, yeah. So I'm glad you brought this up. This <laughs> yeah. that let's talk real, let's talk let's real get, stuff. Let's, let's, let's get stuff. Forget this quarterback crap. Let's get to this. We've done enough. Well, so first of all, okay, just because you say something is overrated doesn't mean you don't like them. I love fries. I think they're usually great. In particular, I love the fries at Five Guys. Mm. I love waffle fries mm. at Chick-fil-A. Oh, yeah. But people act like Fries are the star of the show. Oh, fries, fries. No, they're a side. You know, the reality is you go to like some mom-and-pop restaurant or you go to a lot of places, even like Wendy's Fries or Burger King, like, they're really not that great. And even at Five Guys or Chick-fil-A, so often they're like, not at those two places, but other fries, they're either too crispy, too soggy, they didn't put enough salt on it, they put way too much salt on it. And I've come to the conclusion that even like at Five Guys, like 
I just get a second burger. <laughs> and, and, I, yeah. and I'm so happy. Or like a Chick-fil-A. My, my people, well, you can't just get, you, you got to get something else to go with it. Yeah, I get chicken nuggets, okay? And I dip them into the delicious honey mustard or barbecue, and I'm happier for it. I'm happier for yeah. the chicken nuggets than I would be with fries. So fries are good. Fries are like a seven or an eight, but they're not a nine or a ten like the burger or the chicken sandwich. But the fries are like a running back. You don't take it in the top ten. There you go. You know, running backs are important. You want to have a good running back. I like running backs. But I'm not taking it in the top ten. I'm taking burgers and chicken sandwiches in the top ten. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm a two-protein guy, too. Like they it. give you the meals because they're just they're selling you. That's the profit maker. They're giving you fried potatoes and a $2 soda in the meal. No, no, no. You ask for the two main dishes and cut out all that other garbage. I'm with you, Ross, on that one. You know what else I'm with you on, chicken, Ross? Plus the chicken nuggets or the burger, they're actually healthier for you than just crushing more fried fries. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, I'm glad uh, I'm glad we can start to spread this gospel. Uh, something else, Ross. I heard you on with our, our morning guys a couple of days ago and then immediately was on my phone afterwards. Uh, my wife is out of town. She's on a little girl's trip right now. So my kids and I are getting on myfrontpagestory.com later this week, and we're going to knock out uh, all the great work that uh, you guys have there with this project for Mother's Day coming up. Tell us about what's going on at myfrontpagestory.com. Well, I love it because it's by far the best Mother's Day gift ever. People don't know what to get their mom. They really don't know what to get, like, the mother, their kids, their wife. They, they have no idea. <laughs> Go to myfrontpagestory.com. They write the most unbelievable story about whoever you're getting the gift for. All you have to do is talk to them on the phone for five minutes or fill out a couple email uh, questions. It's framed. Looks like it's on the cover of the newspaper. Like, it looks like it's on the cover of the Indy Star. It's beautiful. And when you give it to them, they don't really know what it is. They never heard of it. So to be able to say, I had a story written about you, like they think you commissioned Bob Kravitz or like some <laughs> author to write some amazing story. You didn't have to do that at all. All you just go to myfrontpagestory.com. Then when they actually read it, they cry almost every time with the quotes like, uh, my sister, we got one from my mom. My sister said she wouldn't be the woman she is without my mom. My mom just started bawling. And then my mom, by the way, did the hanging up in her kitchen. Now, she has like a townhouse, so it's not like a big place. But literally, the story is hanging up in her kitchen so she sees how much we love her every day. It's like the gift that keeps on giving. Myfrontpagestory.com. That's awesome. Uh, he's at Ross Tucker NFL, Ross Tucker Podcast, RossTucker.com. Just, you know, if you just Google Ross Tucker, you'll find your way to it. Um, fries are slightly over. I'd agree with that. I totally agree with that. And uh, I'm getting that. Um, all the mothers are getting front page stories <laughs> for me coming up this Mother's Day. Hey, Ross, uh, enjoy tomorrow and then a long vacation afterwards, I'm sure. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, Ross. That's Ross Tucker. Uh, I, I loved what he said. I heard a lot of the same stuff when he was with the guys earlier this week. We'll react to that, uh, kind of his thoughts and a few other things uh, here the rest of this hour with Joel A. Erickson coming up at the top of the next hour. What will the Colts do? Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. And check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Almost one hour into the midday show, Will Haskett, Jimmy Cook with you. Glorious Wednesday. Interesting final comment really there from Ross Tucker, and we appreciate the time that he spent with us, Jimmy, but this idea that uh, Shane Steichen has sort of seen the future, seen what it might be, the Jalen Hurts taking a team nearly to the Super Bowl and what he sort of found in that combination of throwing and moving from that quarterback position, the run heaviness of that offense, and then blossoming with the right weapons to allow Jalen Hurts to make that just a a fully five-dimensional sort of offense last year for the Eagles and how that might influence them to where that would be the scenario, right? If CJ Stroud doesn't go at two and the Colts truly want somebody that they feel like is a better mover than necessarily the best pocket passer, I guess that's arguable, but most people will tell you that C.J. Stroud's the best of the three remaining pocket passer in this draft class. But if you truly believe that you want to have a new age quarterback that can move as well as throw and you're trying to figure out those things. Now, that, that's the interesting debate of then who you drafted the remaining two in that. But that would be the most fascinating reaction scenario possible is if the Colts tomorrow night are at four, only Bryce Young has come off of the board and they bypass on C.J. Stroud. That, to me, then, would be a fascinating Friday worth of call-ins. Here's my issue with that. With C.J. Stroud or with Will Levis, and then throw Anthony Richardson in there as well, I would think if you're looking for the Jalen Hurts instant comparison, you're looking for somebody that has that ability to move at will whenever you want, whether it's designed run like they've done with Jalen Hurts, whether it is QB sneaks, whether just escapability in the pocket, I think Anthony Richardson right away. But I would also argue that I think of Joe Burrow as a pocket passer. Yeah. I think of Patrick Mahomes, even though he can create as a, as a guy that thrives in the pocket, but is able also to create. And is a magician when things break down. And I know that Pat is a high-level anomaly example. I'm not saying Burrow isn't, but like you can make yes. the better pocket description for Burrow than you can exclusively Mahomes. They both, and you mentioned this the other day, can run. They have the ability to run. They are they throwers who can run, though. Correct. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that all of a sudden, for what Shane Steichen wants to do, unless he wants a true Jalen Hurts style offense, if that's what he wants, then okay, maybe maybe Anthony Richardson's the pick. But you shouldn't immediately axe off Stroud or Levis in my mind because you look at what Mahomes did in the Super Bowl, what Burrow has done in the last two AFC Championship games. You go through your reads, you go through your progressions, nothing's there. They've left a wide open lane for me. Yeah. I'm going to run that way, and I'm going to go pick up a first down at 15 yards and extend the drive. That is more what I need to see out of my quarterback than, oh, he can run and throw at a high level. I want the throwing mechanics and everything down first, but the ability to run and escape and extend plays as a secondary trait for me. And I think Stroud or Levis have that in their arsenal. Let's just go back through Super Bowls. 
Sure. All right. Kansas City, Philadelphia last year. Yep. You have a throw first, run second quarterback yep. in Patrick Mahomes. Really a throw first, can do things yep. when the pocket breaks down quarterback. Yep. And Jalen Hurts, who could do both. He could Correct. do both. Correct. He's been he we can see that he can do both. Season before. Matthew Stafford against Joe Burrow, a predominant pocket passer in Stafford against a predominant pocket passer who can you know do things when the pocket breaks down Super Bowl four Tampa Bay against Kansas City all right we already know what Mahomes is and you have a pure pocket passer in Tom Brady can't move at all again generational maybe greatest quarterback of all time Kansas City San Francisco the Super Bowl before that and that was a San Francisco team with Jimmy G in yes. the Super Bowl yep a pocket passer with a little bit of mobility before that, New England Rams in the Super Bowl prior to that. Again, that's a Brady led pocket would, versus pocket. Golf pocket versus, versus yeah, golf versus Brady. Brady. Eagles with Nick Foles, not Carson Wentz. Yep. So a pocket passer Correct. in the Super Bowl against Tom Brady, pocket passer in the Super Bowl prior to that. Matt Ryan and Tom Brady in the Super Bowl before that. We know how that goes. I mean, we can keep going back and back and back. This idea that this multiple dual threat where we are so enamored with the speed and the running is great but when it boils down to it and chris ballard has said this before you've got to be able to throw from the pocket that is the number one thing they're gonna do we are trying to create a good offensive line in front of you to run the football and create a pocket to where you have the time to be able to throw downfield and so to me and this is what is going to inform our great little hypothetical if we were one of the three power players on West 56th Street, who would we draft? And I honestly, we haven't discussed this when we do it coming up next hour, but it could be that all three of us end up taking somebody completely different because of that very philosophy of what you're trying to build with. I think it's fascinating, but you look at those Super Bowls, if you really want to get to the promise line, if you want that next Lombardi, th- that's what we've seen from those positions. Yeah. No, and you, and you, need, you need a mesh. You need to be able to do both to some level. Not to say that you are equally running and throwing at like 99 on Madden, right? But you need to have your awareness at that point at 99. You need to be able to know when to use your legs and when not to. You mentioned Mahomes. You mentioned his ability to stay in the pocket, but also adjust and slide and stay where he needs to be without just keeping his eyes downfield. He's not taking off and running unless... He has to. You look at the iconic images from that Super Bowl and that scramble for for 20 or 25 yards that set them up to get to what was eventually the game-winning field goal. It was a pocket passer doing it with his legs. You have to be able to in today's NFL, if you want to be one of the greats, do it with your legs in a complimentary fashion that benefits your overall talent as a quarterback with your arm and be able to create when you need to all right rinse and repeat we'll do a lot of the same coming up in hour number two here on the midday show 93.5 107.5 the fan life is full of things to manage your work your family your plans and your treatment consider kesimpta ofatumumab 20 milligram injection you can take it yourself from the comfort of home if you're ready for something different ask your healthcare provider about kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. 
Hour number two of the Midday Show, DriveHubler.com Studios. That's Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison, keeping us on the air. It's a treat every day. Thank you for that. I'm Will Haskett. Talking Colts, 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 Colts. Who are they going to draft tomorrow? Before we get to Joel Erickson, um, I just ran across this tweet. v the gambling experts out in Vegas. NFL draft props. Who will be the second quarterback selected? C.J. Stroud, plus 150. Anthony Richardson, plus 550. Will Levis, minus 190. Well, second, tomorrow... Second quarter... Who knows, who's, who knows who they're going to pick? Tomorrow, Doug Kazarian of the Daily Wager will join us. We'll dive in fully. Not that we won't today. We'll dive in fully to those props, final wagers you can make at the table, but but that is fascinating. No matter who gets selected at four, maybe it's at three. Can't imagine it's two. Whenever the Colts actually select tomorrow, this next man will have it all covered for you. He covers the Colts for the star. You know him well. Joel Erickson joins us. Hey, Joel, how was uh, West 56th Street on this fine Wednesday? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. It's, it's a little bit... Uh a little bit different because we, we have assistant coaches and a couple of players here, and obviously uh, the draft is is on everybody's mind. But you're you're, you're not really talking about the draft, right? Because because you know it's not Shane Steichen or Chris Ballard or Jim Mersey talking. So a little bit different, but beautiful day outside. Okay, yeah. I have to th- and I have to say this then, Joel. So that it's got to be kind of refreshing because you know what? I would like to talk about something other than the draft for the first question. <laughs> so Quiddy Pay was at the podium. We're hearing from a couple of other assistant coaches. Give me something else other than quarterback of the future that is being talked about about the Colts today. Please just give me ninety seconds so my my brain can refresh. Well, uh, so I think I think Tony Sperano Jr. is really interesting to me, the new offensive line coach. It, he, he obviously has a, has a very familiar name. His dad was a legendary O line coach, um, but Sperano's kind of been the junior has been in the league now for for more than a decade before he he finally got his shot. And obviously, what he does with this offensive line, particularly young guys like Bernard Ryman and Will Fries, and who I'm kind of presuming will be so, well, at least one draft pick this weekend is going to play a big role in, in how this team goes considering the way it went last year. And, you know, he's, he's got a lot of different influences. That's what we were talking to him today was about all the different influences he's got. Um, you know, worked with Doug Marone, worked in a couple of different places, Bobby Johnson last year with the Giants. And he said they're going to do some stuff differently technically. They're going to do some, some stuff differently from style-wise. And I think, I think you know, uh, of all the pos- – the positions that Shane Steichen had to hire, that one was probably the most important. And Steichen, Steichen really liked him in the interview, um, really liked what he brought to the table. And, you know, that's that's going to be an interesting position, Coach, to watch as we go forward. Offensive line growth, very important. Oh, my God. Need, it's a, it's a huge it. story. I mean, yeah, you have to. Internally, you have to get better. No, yeah, you can't ma- fix it's, this. It's yeah. a massive aspect. Speaking yeah. of which, which quarterback do you think they're going to be protecting? <laughs> uh? <laughs> uh, no, I, I do want to ask a non-quarterback question before we go there, though. Uh, Joel, all jokes aside, you also had an opportunity to talk with Reggie Wayne. Uh, you mentioned on Twitter that he kind of alluded to, to why he came back and what he wanted to achieve uh, in this second season as wide receivers coach. Uh, w- what did you get out of that conversation? Well, it, it was interesting to me that he said he underachieved. I, I actually thought that considering everything else that was going on with the passing game, I'm probably in the minority in this, you know, across the city, but I thought the receivers, um, you know, played pretty well. I, you know, Alec, Alec Pierce, uh, for a rookie, I mean, he, 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 was, he, he wasn't, you know, a star, but almost 600 yards as a rookie, more than Michael Pittman Jr. had his first year. Uh, that's kind of a little bit better than I was expecting from him in his first season. Paris Campbell, obviously, before he you know he left for the Giants this year, but he had a, he had his best year, which 
probably partially had to do with, or not partially, it had a lot to do with him not being injured, but he also had a definable role. And I think that some of the some of the catch numbers they put up specifically uh, were pretty impressive, given just how bad the passing offense was overall. So I I thought, you know, I came away from last year thinking Reggie Wayne did a pretty good job. So it's interesting to hear him say that he felt like he underachieved and that there was he had unfinished business. He he said, you know, he he had to kind of you know, interview again, or really interview for the first time, because I think my understanding of how he got here in the first place is that Frank Reich was after him for four years before he got him in here. So just just really interesting to hear him say that. Um, I don't know that, that I would have uh, thought that he would have felt like he had to achieve, but that's that's where he's at and why he's back in the building as, as incredibly the only the, the second oldest coach on the offensive staff. That's amazing. At Joel A. Erickson on Twitter, if you want to read up about all these stories, a soft transition back to the draft here, Joel, and I'm going to go this direction because you talk about Reggie Wayne. He's probably going to have a new player to deal with coming out of this draft in that wide receiver room. You've talked about Tony Sperano Jr. He's probably going to have a player or two that's fresh into that room coming out of this draft. We know there are going to have to be one or two cornerbacks in Gus Bradley's defensive unit that are likely going to have to come out of this draft you start to add up the needs and the number of draft picks and well you have to hit a lot um, with the draft capital that they have which sort of leads to my question here is we don't know if the draft board is going to play out to where they can get who they always wanted at the fourth overall selection but given all of the other sort of needs how likely or unlikely is it that the Colts want to move any of that capital to move up? Whether it's just from four to three or if it's from 35 back into the later first round, is it even worth the cost of that capital given the fact that you know you have to pick up at least four or five positions of need just to be able to put together a good roster for the fall? I, I think you can still move up if you need to because you can always you can always move back with a later pick and pick some of that stuff back up. You know, I think... I think, you know, Colts fans with, with Ballard at the helm are, are pretty used to it now where there's going to be three or four trades. There's, sometimes there's two or three or four trades in a draft, and some up, most of them back. Uh, he usually finds a way to pick up an extra pick or two. I think that's probably going to happen again. Um, but I agree with you. I, I think the other thing is just, you know, they, they're going to have to have some some lower-round picks hit. Uh, and, and really, really, it, it's kind of – you just wish Ballard said last week that he feels like there's still, there's still some players available in free agency, particularly at offensive line and cornerback. But I, I kind of wish you were going into this draft feeling like, you know, we've at the very least added a player at all of those positions of need, and now we're drafting a player on top of something we've already addressed. That's that's kind of where I, where you, you know if, if if I was running the team, which obviously I'm not, never will be. That's that's kind of where I'd want to be, but that's that's not the way they've approached it, and it does put a little bit more of a premium on this draft that some of those other positions need, which I know no one wants to talk about those right now, but we'll talk about them uh, in the fall if, you know, the cornerbacks are playing bad or if uh, the rookie, if, if a, you know, a draft pick at that position isn't playing well and two guys go down and they, they're really thin there. We'll end up talking about it a lot. Joel A. Erickson, Colts beat writer for the Indianapolis Star, nice enough to take some time with us. Joel, you mentioned a couple moments ago about how you – viewed the wide receiver room as not as bad as people took it last year. I don't necessarily fully disagree with you. I think they were largely hampered, and most would agree with the quarterback play of Matt Ryan and, and, and the carousel that unfolded as of late at the quarterback position. When you look at how they approach this draft, though, or how you would approach this draft, rather, 
how aggressive would you be at wide receiver, knowing that you were confident in the room from what they did last year? Does that change your factor of what you want the Colts to attack first, cornerback versus wide receiver, with their picks following the quarterback selection? Uh, a little bit. Well, I don't know. I a, a little bit. I I would be fine with the receiver at thirty five if if the right guy's there. I, you know, Michael Pittman is in the last year of his rookie deal. Um, and, and who knows what that contract situation is going to be like, given what receivers have been paid. And so, if you just look at it going ahead, like Ballard has kind of said that you know all see all off season long, like I think Pittman and Pierce are a better team than people are giving it credit for. So that's where they're at. Um, I, I don't know if I'm as, as far as high on on that as as they are, but even even if you are high on that team, you still need more guys. You know, um, probably two more. I would feel like I know they signed Isaiah McKenzie, but that was a veteran uh, salary benefit deal. Um, McKenzie's never really taken over as a slot receiver in the NFL. He's kind of more been always a piece. And again, he's only signed for one year. So, uh, you know, you'd like to see some picks there. And, and it wouldn't bother me if they if they took one high. I think I see cornerback as as maybe a greater need just because uh, Isaiah Rogers. Can be, I think, obviously has shown that he can be a starting quarterback, cornerback, um, but he's never done it for like in like the thousand eight hundred snap type range, and so with with Kenny Moore, you know, Gus Bradley referencing him as a nickel last last week. I just keep looking at that outside outside cornerback position, going, I think they're just less proven than wide receivers. So cornerback seems like the bigger need to me, but that doesn't mean I don't think wide receivers a need. Um, you know, obviously that they, they they need to add some more in that room. Uh, both now and going forward. Joel, we're going to have a fun exercise, the three of us here in the studio coming up in the next segment, about if we were in one of the three main positions of power within the Colts organization and it was just solely up to us, who would the quarterback be? Which is sort of stemming from a conversation that we had at the top of the show, which is we're sort of we're nauseous now at the back-and-forth evaluation of these quarterback prospects. You can poke holes in all of them. You can make them all out to be future Hall of Famers, if you want to, of the three that might slide to the Colts if they stay at four. I think the larger question is, we're going to hear the same speech tomorrow that it was the guy they targeted all along the board fell exactly like they wanted to yada 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 my question is do you think that there is 100 percent consensus in the building on who that prospect would be no matter how the board shakes out tomorrow that's that is a great question and i think the colts have done a pretty good job of obscuring most of that info um if if you read i, I went through this with um, with KB and Query the other day too, but if you, if you read a lot of the stuff that the national guys are reporting from inside, like supposedly from inside the Colts building, it's not actually from inside the Colts building. They say people around the league believe, or uh, other t- in talking to general managers, they think this is what the Colts are going to do. Yeah. Well, that's that's not the Colts. Um, and the consensus part, I think, I think some of the hard part with that is, you know, the way we define it versus the way say the Colts would define it because I think that the way NFL teams look at consensus is okay by the time they get up, get up tomorrow I think they know who they want and how they're hoping it to fall and everyone will kind of be in on that but does that mean that everybody felt the same way about the quarterbacks does that mean that they might not be thinking hey I, I thought my guy was pretty good like uh, I thought he was better than this other guy I, I think that there's probably that in all draft rooms uh I don't really see the Colts though. They, they, especially in the front office and the draft structure. I think they've, they've. It seems like they've 
always been pretty much in lockstep with that. I don't I don't know that you're going to see um, a couple of years ago where you had the one scout who was mad in the background of the video, <laughs> um, or or last year like the Titans trade AJ Brown and Mike Brable's like up and angrily walking away. <laughs> I, I'd be surprised if we ever saw something like that from the Colts because obviously it does happen. Um, and those two op- those two examples came to mind pretty pretty quickly, but I just don't I don't I don't think that's how this front office is typically run. Yep. Joel, building off that question, last year we saw Jim Irsay flex his power, rightfully so, as an owner, and Will's brought this up a couple times as well. Rightfully with, with, so. With, with the way the, the quarterback changes, right? rightfully so. Rightfully so. Sure. That's something we'll dive into later. <laughs> uh, but but for the draft room conversation, we're obviously going to have this mock where, where each one of us is is one of Shane Steichen, uh, Jim Irsay, and Chris Boward. For From what you're hearing how hands-on or flexing said power will Jim Irsay be in the war room tomorrow night with what they do it for? He's promised that Ballard and Steichen are driving this train, and he's he's there in an advisory role to kind of play the 10,000-foot range. Um, that's that's what he said at the owners' meetings. He reiterated it several times. Um, generally in the draft room... His role in the past has been more, uh, you know, they're hemming and hawing over whether or not we should go get this guy. And like in the Jonathan Taylor situation, he says, hey, you guys have been talking about this guy for months. Just do it. Um, so that's, that's kind of where he's been before. I think, I think probably that's where it's been. That's probably where it's going to fall. It, the coaching search, I think, is our best indicator of this. It, Chris Ballard really ran that coaching search. Now, Jim Mersley obviously had played a – a significant, enormous role with the the, the five hour one on one meetings, and he should as the, as a the head coach. But he let Chris Ballard run that, and um, I, I think that's probably what I'd expect from this one too. Is he's he's obviously a part of it. It's the quarterback position. He's always said that he believes his role is to uh, make sure that they have the right guys in place at quarterback, coach, and general manager. I, I don't necessarily know that he's driving a train as if he was back in his old general manager seat. So I don't like making questions where I'm asking you to, to give sort of hypotheticals, but we sort of arrived at this process where I feel like we've asked all the sort of normal questions. I'm not asking for something that would be totally crazy and inconceivable, but give me something that maybe silly or, or wild that could happen for a Colts draft. It may not even be day one. It could be day two. That could happen that if you, it happened, you'd give it that old... Uh, Alon- the Alonzo morning gif sort of look like the oh oh okay like I didn't really see that coming but uh, yeah okay I can kind of understand it if it did play out that way there's like a, if there's a wild card out there uh, defensive end with 35 Oh, I thought you were going to say four because I've, <laughs> so jo- I've been joking. Like- <laughs> I've been joking around about that a couple of times this week with the fourth pick with three quarterbacks on the board. The Indianapolis Colts select Tyree Wilson, defensive end from Texas Tech. Uh, you know, if if it if it was three quarterbacks off the board in the first three picks, I, yeah, that, that Will Anderson maybe. You know, yeah. Um, but I think I think defensive end at thirty five, it would yeah. throw in there. It doesn't seem like that's a spot where you need people after the signing of Abukum and some of the young guys they've got in there, but it's also a position where they've they've always talked about having eight or nine guys, and by my count, they're at eight-ish right now. And and Chris Ballard likes Ish. to take pass rushers. Yeah. You know, Chris Ballard likes to take pass rushers. And, um, you know, we did sort of a, kind of what you guys are doing. The way, the way we handle our mock draft at the star since I've been here is we, we, don't, we let a simulator make the picks, and then we kind of try to make a decision. 
And I got to be honest, uh, just as a preview, I, I was tempted to go Will McDonald at, at 35 uh, with a lot of tools and traits off the edge and kind of perfect for the Leo spot. Um, I, it just, just because, you know, it doesn't seem like a need, but pass rush is kind of one of those positions where you can always take one and, and you probably need to. Joy Erickson of the Indy Star. Nice stuff to take some time with us here in the drivehuber.com studios. Joel, I kind of talked about last week that from the time the combine ends to about this seven-day window in the lead-up to the draft, there's a transition from really lying season where you get a notification and you wonder how factual it is. You see betting lines move and you wonder, okay, what is Vegas reacting to? We're now a little over 24 hours out from when the mocks don't matter anymore and the picks are actually made. If you're giving advice to Colts fans or on your day-to-day job as you're rummaging through all this, are we now in deciding season in your mind when you see a notification hit of of breaking news or of, of speculation or, or of mock, or is it still you're not trusting anything until the picks are actually announced? I, I would say my big advice is, is don't read too much into the mock drafts, especially this year. Um, when you've got the, the major newsbreakers like Ian Rappaport and Adam Schefter on, on saying, like, R- Rappaport has said several times he feels like maybe more than, than ever, it's it's been pretty well obscured what teams are going to do. Mountain drafts generally aren't very successful anyway in terms of picks. Now, they're usually more successful up in the range the Colts are picking. Um, but I wouldn't take it as necessarily news. Like, they know that this is the guy. I think they're more trying to read into the tea leaves. Like I said, I see a lot of the big-name draft guys who put out mock drafts say, well, the league believes, the league believes, the league believes. That's not the Colts. Um, And so, like, mock drafts are great. They're fun. Um, They're predictions. But don't take them as news. That that would be my biggest advice. Like like I said, the one that we put out, the one that we put out every year isn't isn't even a prediction so much as it's a thought exercise. Uh, And so – I shouldn't even say that. It's not a prediction. It's, it's absolutely a thought <laughs> exercise. We're not we're not trying to predict the other picks because I I I don't work in Houston. I don't spend my time thinking about the Texans, you know. Um, and so and that's true of all these guys. Like even the draft analyst guys, they spend all their time thinking about draft uh, picks and and evaluating draft picks. They don't necessarily know what's going on with all thirty two teams. The level of say. You know, like me, who covers the Colts all the time, and so all I think about is the Colts. It's just not it's just not possible. And so taking mock drafts as news as, rather than sort of entertainment or a possibility or a way to kind of look through your own scenarios, that's the biggest mistake. And I see it happen sometimes on Twitter where people are like, oh, this person says it. That's definitely what's going to happen. I, I, don't, I, that's, I don't think that's what a mock draft is. Uh, Joel, last one for me. No matter what happens at this quarterback position, no matter who it might be, we know that there's risk and potential reward, and it may take years to kind of figure out exactly how that pick plays out. Short term, with whoever, we don't know who the pick is going to be. If they're good in their first year or bad in their first year, what is the realistic range of this team? So take me from rookie quarterback exceeds expectations and is a rookie of the year type of candidate to, wow, this guy needs a lot of seasoning and may not be the the answer long term. But what is that actual range of wins that this position is going to have given this roster? That's a good question. Um I think obviously, if, if quarterbacks really bad again, they could be they could be really bad again. Be picking really high, um, 
I think probably the ceiling as as the roster is constructed now without having, you know, a big time free agent signing and stuff. I think if he's really good and he's a rookie of the year type, like maybe sort of in like the Justin Herbert Chargers rookie year type range. Yep. You know, like they're kind of around the picture, but they're they're not necessarily they're not contenders. Like they might have a shot at the playoffs, but they're not they're not winning division. They're not they're not doing yeah. that kind of stuff. I I feel like. You know, losing Stephon Gilmore, not necessarily replacing him. The the depth on the offensive line, like even if even if Fries and Ryman are um, take huge steps, like the, if you just look at a depth chart right now, I've got one up on the Stars website. Like you can look, they, there's really only two tackles on the roster right now that mm-hmm. have played, um, and that, that those spots are going to get injured. So I think looking at all that stuff, I think that's probably the ceiling. Is you know maybe maybe you're doing what the Eagles did in Sirianni's first year and sneaking in, um, but they, they they've got some some big holes that could get even bigger with injuries. Yeah. Go on. Joel, I hope you are able to get some rest finally, like the rest of us here in 24 hours, or I guess for you, it's probably more likely extended through Monday by the time all the interviews and everything are done. But uh, it's always awesome to get your perspective and try to take us through or or handhold us as much as we can as we try to uh, survive through all the mocks, all the chaos and all the havoc and looking forward to a conclusion tomorrow. Yeah, I'm I'm ready for a quarterback. People people are asking me all all uh, all week, you know, just like who are, who are the Colts taking? And I've I've kind of even moved past. Or who do you like? I've kind of moved past that. I'm like, just give me one so I can start talking about how the Colts are trying to develop them and and why they made the pick and and get working with real information. I'm kind of I'm kind of past trying to figure it out on my own. I, I want I want to just work with who they've got. Yeah, I agree. Joel Erickson, thanks for the time. We appreciate it. We'll be reading everything that comes out later this week. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, Joel. Uh, good stuff from Joel. And I appreciated the stuff on the end. I looked up Justin Herbert's stats while we were finishing it out. I mean, his first year, 31 TDs, 10 interceptions, threw for 4,300 yards, completed 66% of his passes, 62.6 QBR, 98 rating, and they went – I mean, they had Austin Eckler, so it's kind of like a, a Jonathan – Taylor sort of situation that you have there with you've got an established back but they ended up what seven and nine that year so like kind of borderline I mean that's the interesting thing right like we want to get this pick so right but then you think about it it's like this guy could be a no-brainer whoever the quarterback is and you still have it's still gonna be a couple of years till you can surround him yeah. with what's gonna be necessary to actually make this team a viable playoff contender and there's been a ton of over the course of Justin Herbert's Tenure to this point, excluding the fact that he's in a division with Patrick Mahomes, but you know the Chargers, often Charger, there's often head scratching decisions made here or there. Injuries, they didn't surround him with the right talents. All I mean, they're the most injured team I think in the league two years ago. Defensively, they weren't just putting pieces around him, and they've sort of squandered the first three years of his career, where his numbers are good, but they're asking him to do a lot, and it's ups and downs, right? I mean, he'll have some brilliant games, and then there'll be some absolute stinkers that are in there. But who knows? Who knows what we're going to get? And that was. uh, no, that was another one of those picks that you know a lot of people kind of wondered like is this the right tool set that you're looking for out of a quarterback and I can imagine there was some head scratching within the organization as to whether or not he was a right fit or not dare I say there maybe have been a difference of opinion from GM to coach to owner which could be the case for the Indianapolis Colts and we will play out that hypothetical right here in this studio we still don't know who we're picking for yet we should have the pe- we should have the folks do that we should have the people do that Figure it out. Put it in the chat. Is there something in there? Ask the <laughs> YouTubers. Did. Already did. Already did? Okay. Yes, okay. We'll let I the did. folks in the YouTube chat 
point out who we get to be and we'll let you know who we are and we'll make our picks well, it's, coming up. it's tough though when we've established now after that conversation with joel that jim mercy is going to be hands-off is that what we're doing with this yeah, exercise right. is that what's happening? everybody on youtube knows how i felt about the answer to that question and that wasn't joel's problem but about the reality versus the perception so do with that what you will my friends out there in youtube land and we will pick based off of your recommendations for our roles coming up right after this Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to welcome you into the 2023 NFL Draft Fan Midday Show version. I'm Will Haskett. Jimmy Cook's over there. Eddie Garrison's over there. The three of us are going to be playing the roles of the three most influential decision makers inside the Colts organization because as we have discussed throughout the majority of this show today... They can say all the right things, but if this truly comes down to a draft where the board is a little bit wackier and crazier than we expected, and there is a number of quarterback prospects still on the board when the Colts select, whether that's at four, whether they move up to three, and despite what some people say, there's no way they're moving up to two. It's just there's not going to be business done between the Texans and the Colts. I'll eat my hat on Friday morning if that is indeed the case. Um, I just... Given all of that stuff, I just am not 100% convinced that while they will have a 100% we're behind this all together, that that room is going to be lockstep in and saying, this is my guy. They're going to be in agreement, this is our guy, but not necessarily my guy. So what better way to play out this scenario than for us to take on those roles and pick my guy in that role. So Okay, so uh, what did the people say? What are all they- right, so the YouTube chat stated that Jimmy obviously has to be Jim Mercer. <laughs> oh, come on. Transparency. Gosh, that's who I was hoping for. <laughs> all the power. <laughs> and then, Will, you're Shane so, Steichen. Oh, great. So uh, I have no say, especially if we get off to a, a roaring start and he's going to bench whoever I draft for Garner Minshew in week five. And that leaves me as Chris Ballard. All right. Great. Yeah, this is already off to a flying start. <laughs> all right. I am Shane Steichen. Um, all right. Let's do this in two different ways. Eddie is going to simulate what happens in the draft one, two, and three. Now, if for whatever reason that simulation is a little bit more old school and the fact that more quarterbacks come off the board than expected, then we can flip back around and do this as if two defensive players come off the board at two and three. But for the meantime, the first round through of this, let's roll with the first overall pick of this 2023 mock <laughs> midday show the Carolina Panthers select Bryce Young a shocker there quarterback Alabama <sighs> As Shane Steich and I am disappointed, I really wanted to get my hands <laughs> on Bryce Young, and I should have interviewed stronger in Carolina. Okay. Anyway, let's just keep on. You want to keep moving? Second. <laughs> keep moving? Quarterback. 
Anthony Richardson. Goes um, to University of Florida. Oh, I don't like how this is shaping up. Oh, this is tough. All right, so three. Are the Arizona Cardinals still on the clock, or do we have a simulated trade? Arizona Cardinals made the selection. They turned in the card, and they selected Will Anderson Jr. Wow. Edge. Alabama. So with the fourth overall pick in the NFL draft, the Indianapolis Colts not having to give up any trade capital. They stay at number four. Two quarterbacks have gone off the board in Bryce Young and Anthony Richardson. We are led to believe that this pick is a consensus, but it comes from the general manager. So I will yield to my boss, Chris Ballard, to make his selection first. So you, we currently have two draft offers on the table. One is from Cincinnati. Oh, trade offers, you mean? The, yes. They offered the 28th pick and the 60th pick and their second round pick next year, along with tackle Jonah Williams. Oh, wow. <laughs> for the fourth overall pick <laughs> and the divisional rival, Houston Texans. Oh, they want to get up from 12. Wait, have they, offered wait. 12, 33, and pick 203 for pick four. I would decline both those trades, I would Jim Irsay. definitely decline both I of those trades. I am declining so. both of these trades. So that leaves <laughs> us with CJ Stroud, Jalen Carter, and Will Levis. Well, and the end from Shane, and the end from Texas Tech. No, you get to pick. You're you're Chris Ballard. You're Shane, going. I want to put you in the situation to succeed. What what quarterback would you like to mold? Wow, this is um, this this is. I need some good Shane Steichenisms. I don't have enough Shane Steichenisms. I don't also don't have a good Shane Steichen voice yet. Uh, given the two choices, I mean, I really thought that I would be in a, a real pickle here inside the organization if Anthony Richardson was still on the board because I, I believe that I that I could do something amazing with those physical traits, physical traits that we've never seen before. But unfortunately, I'm going to have to coach against those traits, it sounds like, twice a year for the foreseeable future. Uh, so given the, the two that are remaining, uh, I think Levis can get me out of the pocket. But you know what? Uh, the tape matters, and the tape against the most important team and the most important game matters the best arm skill that's left on the board. I think this has actually worked out to my benefit for not having to be as difficult of a decision. So CJ Stroud is my pick. Uh, after Mr. Ursay, after finding time in between purchasing a guitar, the Beatles looked at one time, I was able to see some of the national championship game and I enjoyed what I saw from CJ Stroud as Jim Ursay here. So I give my blessing to make that selection. So that's the unanimous three out of three. The card has been selected. <laughs> All right, so that was a little bit easier than we thought. Yeah, What's the third Stroud. overall, fourth overall pick? The Indianapolis Colts select C.J. Stroud, quarterback, Ohio State. That was really we're doing good. high fives yeah, around good the job. Room. Yeah, yeah, we're standing up. We're in the we're in the draft room. We're looking at the scouts like this. Point at the marketing person. Like I want that on a poster yeah, right no, now. No. Get it to the season ticket holders tomorrow. C.J. Stroud, take that scarlet and gray helmet off put that blue put the shoe right up there on his head i want to see the shoe right up there on his head he's going to be our leader um chris were you excited that cj stroud fell to that position um to have that decision you know mr ballot we were just ecstatic that the board fell our way it's a guy that we had targeted from day one when we were going through this process you know of course this process uh, it lasts longer than just this one year. It's it's something we've been doing for the last couple of seasons now when these guys start in high school a little bit, and then certainly when they get into college, we start evaluating all the quarterbacks because uh, you have to keep your options open, and you never know when you may need one. I appreciate that. I do appreciate Mr. that. Mr. Ursi, right. are you happy with this selection? I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to finally have the Colts back in contention for Lombardi trophies. I'm going to amp it up to three Lombardi trophies now in the next 10 years. Going to happen for this franchise. I'm very excited. Uh, Will Levis ended up going seventh to the Raiders. Well, yeah, that sounds about right. 
And anybody that retweets this tweet will be entered in a drawing to win one million Buckeyes. I will give him credit, though. He instantly becomes the third best quarterback in the AFC West. So I'll tip the cap there. <laughs> um, okay. I run a new simulation. And by that, I did not run a simulation at all. If we were to go back through this exercise with Will Anderson and take Wilson off the table too at two and at three. So if you believe some of the stuff out there that without Bryce Young on the board, the Texans are out of it. If you are Chris Ballard, if you are Jim Irsay, if I am Shane Steichen and three quarterbacks remain, in the scenario that we had with Anthony Richardson off the board at two, we would think that all three of those gentlemen would be in on C.J. Stroud. If it's C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, and Will Levis on the board still at four, do you change your hypothetical pick based off of the individual? So I did one of these earlier during the show, and I got offered a trade from Philly. It was pick 10 and pick 30 Wow! of this year, and I traded back, and I landed Richardson at 10. If, you're, if, if you get to four and there are still three quarterbacks on the board – the only problem there is if you're Tampa Bay, if you're maybe New England, if you're Minnesota, some of these teams that have been sort of linked to a free-falling quarterback or the Hendon Hooker sit and rest him for a year kind of sweepstakes. If all of a sudden the top 10 starts to play out to where you realize one of those three guys is probably going to be lurking at 8, 9, 10, 11, the cost to go up and get that quarterback at that point in time is significantly less and actually viable than it was before when you were thinking you had to go to two, three, or four. So I think there could be then movement in that scenario, but I don't hate the idea. If you're the Colts and there are three quarterbacks waiting at four, and you think that somebody could move up and you could move down five or six spots, it's not a terrible move, I think, to be able to make. So if you're wheeling and dealing as Ballard over there, Eddie, and you've got three quarterbacks on the board, your choice would be trade. I think that's what Ballard would really consider. Now, if all three were on the board, I think Ballard would also be in this uh, boat of Anthony Richardson is a freak athlete, and I bet on the traits of players. I like the traits of Anthony Richardson. I think we have a really good quarterback uh, coach and Shane Steichen who can lead this guy and develop him and mold him into the quarterback we want. Um, And we can let Gardner Minshew start a couple games because, A, he's on a one-year deal. Uh, so he's not. We don't have any ties to him after this year. And B, he has the ability to f- step in as a starter in the NFL. Uh, Mr. Ursay, with Richardson back, would you would you accept Richardson over C.J. Stroud? Would you be more enamored with that idea? It's really interesting that we arrived at a C.J. Stroud versus Will Levis coin flip, if you will, and we all decided that Stroud would be the pick. So throwing Richardson back in wouldn't make Levis viable in this hypothetical scenario either which is really strange when you hear all of this talk about how will levis is the guy and yet we're playing out hypotheticals that pretty much don't give us in our opinion levis is the final answer if the rankings for for me both in this jim ursay role as well as turning back into jimmy cook here for a second are stroud richardson levis so richardson being back into that doesn't ultimately affect the decision making there in terms of which quarterback I would there I would want there the value in my mind is too great if Stroud falls to you you take him and you put your feet up and get ready for round two yeah I agree with that and and really it's Eddie I mean if Ballard's talked a lot about needing quarterbacks that can throw from the pocket too he wants to put a pocket around them 
I'd be interested. I think if there was one person, if I was to put my Shane Steichen hat back on, I think the traits of Richardson are enticing enough given what that offense looked like last year with Jalen Hurts. But keep something in mind, like Jalen Hurts could really throw. We had tape on his ability to throw the football mm-hmm. at various stops in college, all successful, even in the the adversity he went through with you know losing his job for Tua, then coming back in, and then going to Oklahoma and showing what he was able to do there. I mean, all of those things to me, there was tape on him throwing, and the mechanics were solid. It was taking his ability to escape and making him an NFL dual threat quarterback has kind of been was their key last year. I don't necessarily know if just the pure raw ability is as enticing as seeing the fin- the more finished product of the other guys. I think that it, if I was the head coach of the Colts right now, that I'd be between Richardson's twa- traits and C.J. Stroud, and I think I probably still end up with C.J. Stroud. But yeah, Richardson's the, an interesting one, and these simulations that have people trading up to go get the most enticing physical product is um, is something that could still be in play tomorrow, unless you believe all of the odds out there that they're going to trade up to two to get Will Levis. Which yeah. I mean, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Time to shift towards round two. All right, oh, so two, yeah. right now we have two trade offers. The Colts would send pick 35 and pick 106. I believe that's a fifth-round pick. Uh, and the Saints would send us pick 40 in Denver's second-round pick of 2024. That's a decline for me. I mean, at this, I point, at this point in time, can we just pick the picks? Yeah. yeah. Let's just pick the picks. Okay. Yeah, sorry. I mean, I, that's a lot of... Coach, you got somewhere a to lot be. Of calculation. I, I do, I, I do. I mean, I do I have kids? I can't remember. Do I have kids? I got to get home for the... I don't, what's his buyout right, again? Sir. Or how do I... Don't I get, what's the deal? <laughs> On the board, Michael Mayer, tight end Notre Dame. Wow. Okay. Uh, Anton Harrison, offensive tackle of Oklahoma. Zay Flowers, wide receiver of Boston College. Jameer Gibbs, running back Alabama. Josh Downs, wide receiver North Carolina. Hendon Hooker. Uh, oh, yeah. Jack Campbell, he's a linebacker from Iowa, and Jalen Hyatt, wide receiver of Tennessee. All right, head coach is going here first. I need a weapon for my quarterback. Um, I'm assuming some of the top corners have already fallen at this point in time. It's just from an Indianapolis standpoint, I was hoping that we could end up seeing you know some of those guys. There's a lot of late first round cornerbacks that I was hoping might fall to us at that moment. I like the Hyatt kid from Tennessee, six foot, four four forty. Yes, I think it's kind of a difference maker. So if you know, I was hoping at the beginning of this draft process that the Brents kid here locally, the cornerback out of Kansas State, might still be around. Just incredible measurables, and I think you can just sort of put him on the outside in Gus Bradley's defense and do things. But if one or two of those first-round grades or early second-round grade corners aren't there, then as a head coach, I want weapons for my offense, and I'm going to take the Hyatt kid from Tennessee. They describe Jalen Hyatt as the type of playmaker and difference maker with his ability to track the ball in the air that he can get you a home run and have that explosive nature. But as Jim Irsay in this role and not Jimmy Cook, I just want a weapon. I will defer to my coach and general manager for what they want to do. See, this is where I disagree on what the Colts need right now in terms of at-wide receiver. You have two bigger-bodied outside receivers already uh, in Michael Pittman Jr. and in Alec Pierce. I think they need more of a guy who plays the slot. You can do a little bit with in in a gadget role. Yes, we just signed... uh, uh, Isaiah McKenzie, but he has not proven it in Buffalo, and they look for replacements for him readily. That's why I lean towards Zay Flowers here. Uh, he has the athletic ability to play in the slot. He's quick twitched, really good coming out of the top end of his breaks. He's a guy that can get past the safeties from the slot. You can do a variety of different things with him on, on uh, jet sweeps. You can do those little pitch 
options that you see a lot of teams do in the NFL on, on, on the motion across the field. So if I had to pick here, I'd lean towards Zay Flowers. And this is the moment in time when Gus Bradley storms into <laughs> the room and is like, whatever happens in the third round, I need a cornerback. Somebody <laughs> please draft me a cornerback. I know we're going to go sign somebody off the street too, but I need a corner. So simulate out to the third round and tell me what corners – show up in best available all right hold on we're slowly getting there at first i thought that's what you were doing in between picks i thought okay you're giving the simulator time to i was trying to make it i thought we were just moving forward process. with this simulator process <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, for some reason the simulator number. is moving it also slow. simulates to an extent what it's like on draft night while you're waiting in between picks that we have a, a super sim button we're able to do we take a little a, bit of a wait it's probably too late to get a flyer on Keely Ringo from Georgia. But, he's a, but he's he went a, in the first round. He went in the first round. By the way, I know this is outlandish because That's the Colts stretch. definitely need wide receiver, but if they took Michael Mayer, I believe every report I've seen, and there's Notre Dame bias here, that he's the next great tight end. If you want to set up your quarterback with a guaranteed first-round grade tight end for the next 10 years, yeah. totally fine if they did that. I heard KB no talking about that earlier this week about you know it may be time to sort of shift forward or, or find another weapon like do you what do you feel about that tight end room if, if it's just a pass catcher not necessarily a wide receiver but it's anybody that can yeah. be a weapon catching passes I feel like this offense is still lacking somebody that can do a little bit of both you know it, you need a blocker too especially given sort of what the O-line was last year and I think you know America can give it it's a huge huge guy I mean I think he can do a little bit of both for you and um, that's just a massive body massive man to play I wouldn't mind it um, I wouldn't be surprised if it happened but man, it's if there's just somebody, if there's somebody with just athletic gifts and speed for days, um, we can do that. All right, we're still simulating. After a run of cornerbacks and safeties at the 79th pick. Oh, shoot. <laughs> Wisconsin center Joe Tipman is on the board, nope. as long as they're, uh, as well as their defensive tackle, Keanu Benton. Hmm. Uh, Jalen Jones, cornerback out of Texas Boom, A&M. Take him. Quickly. Quickly take him. Is Joe, Jones' best available corner? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Got to take him. I don't know where we have them on our board, but uh, as Shane Steichen, look, I, I've got to be able to coexist with my my defensive coordinator, and <laughs> I got to give my I got to give the boss what he needs here. So yeah, we're taking the corner in the third <laughs> round. Uh, Jones grades, and just for the interest of transparency, this one um, from Dane Brugler has the size, physicality, and ball skills to entice teams that put a premium on those traits. Though he may struggle to recover versus NFL route runners until he becomes refined. Several teams are scouting him as a safety. Shoot. This is why we should have drafted one in the second <laughs> round. <laughs> this is the beauty of the exercise. <laughs> Hopefully they're running this simulation right now on West 56th Street. So we can handle that. All right, I think three rounds is enough. To That's, all we That's, That's all we got. Yeah. That's all we've got. Okay. Uh, that was fun. It was not nearly as random as I thought it was going to be. I actually envisioned a scenario where the three of us could end up picking three completely different quarterbacks. I thought that there could be an, an Ursay-Levis a Steichen Richardson and a Ballard CJ Stroud potential. This is which is why when I talk about consensus, I'm always going to wonder going into. And I night. think that is what's going to happen. Like I know we all agreed and we did it pretty easily, but if it is Stroud and Levis, if you're not obviously most people listening are Colts fans, but if you're not a Colts fan, and just love drama in the draft. Very fascinating to see what they decide to do. 
And then what are those reactions live in the war room? Is everybody keeping it just straight faced, yep. monotone, not giving anything away? Or will there be real drama if it is a scenario where just Stroud and Levis are available? It'll all come to a head tomorrow when the Colts pick. Again, Colts draft coverage Thursday and Friday here on The Fan at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Whoever is under center for the Colts next year, several years down the road, if they win that starting job and are the quarterback of the future, they could be playing in a completely different location each and every year in the NFL. We'll talk about that and more. It's the Fan Midday Show here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. My 12-year-old is obsessed with this song. Like he's discovered rock and roll in the last like 6 months. So it's and not he, a Marvel thing. It's and he has no and he has a friend okay. Okay. who introduced him to this Black Sabbath song and then I can't remember what was the other song. Oh, and um Inner Sandman by Metallica and I was like, "Man, you're really jumping in heavy here to your rock and roll love." Like, I mean, no disrespect, but I mean, we could we could sort of, you know, yacht rock for a second and then like build up the power a little bit but i mean this is he's <laughs> going first in the deep he's end. going very hard very early it's gonna be the other day i'm like listening to pearl jam and i was like what do you think about this song he's like oh okay and then uh, he hasn't gotten into guns and roses yet so i was trying to play i played like uh welcome to the jungle for him and he was like oh i don't know it's a little loud and i was like a little loud like you just <laughs> What are you talking about? <laughs> Do you remember listening to Enter Sandman? So five then I was like, ago? okay, well, I can go softer. So then it gave him a little November rain. It was too slow. And then I had to fast forward all the way to the second half of the song, which he loved the second half of the song. But these kids these days, they fast forward through everything. You know, they're watching YouTube videos on one and a half, two times speed. Like, I'm just, I'm too old for this stuff. So um, <laughs> anyway, I heard that song and I was like, it's crazy. Uh, did you see the news out of Nashville? The Tennessee Titans have the final financing piece for the next uh, their next stadium. They hope to have it open in 2027 the nashville city council this is a according to the associated press article approved by a 26 to 12 vote that will allow the sports authority to issue 760 million dollars in bonds that combines with 500 million in state bonds for more than 1.2 billion dollars in public financing committed to the enclosed stadium that will house the tennessee titans It'll be the largest public price tag for a stadium, topping the $850 million it took to keep the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo for their new stadium. The stadium's expected to cost upwards of $2.1 billion. Uh, I remember this story came out a couple of years ago that they were looking for it. I've been in that stadium for football games. I've run into that stadium at the end of a half marathon. Um, I Honestly, I'm like, really? They this one needs to go like i understand it doesn't have some of the fancy bells and whistles but in this arms race of having everything that you need to attract major college championship games super bowls you know they've probably been promised everything that i just mentioned if they build this stadium given the the size of that city moving forward um great 
But I mean, every time I drove through Nashville very slowly and actually stopped for a while for uh, spring break this year, I'm looking out the window at it going, really? That's got to go? But here we are. Build it bigger. Build it better. I love new stadiums, particularly when they don't involve any public financial money? commitment to me, right? Like, right. I, like well, that, that I'm involved with it, right? I, Not I for the there. citizens of Tennessee. No, no, no they, they don't. And I, you know, my heart goes out to them. I understand it, but from a tourist standpoint, as I don't live there, give me the fun new state-of-the-art facility, and they'll get to enjoy, at a minimum, a Super Bowl someday, if not already in the works. We'll arrive at Tennessee once that stadium is complete. Just the way things go in the league. Uh, The Titans waive $32 million owed by Nashville for money spent maintaining Nissan Stadium the past four years. That's nice of them. Yeah, Um, It'll be... $1.8 $1.8 billion in costs for future maintenance and stadium investments all the way through 2039 from Nashville taxpayers. Those numbers are made up. Holy cow. <laughs> uh, 1% added tax now to hotel and motels, all of the in-stadium sales tax, and 50% of sales taxes from 130 acres around this stadium will be used to pay off the bonds that have been issued for the stadium. So, if you like to go on the road to follow the Colts around by 2027, you should should have a new spot to visit and it'll be enclosed so there you go i guess because weather's always been an issue in nashville (laughs) they want to have final fours and stuff so they want to do stuff indoors during the winter months and everything but you don't need you don't need to play football indoors in nashville i don't have a problem with the indoor issue particularly if you're going to one day hope to have a offense that runs high-powered through the air. Not that it can't be done. Cincinnati yeah. shown it can be done. Kansas City shown it can be done. Buffalo shown it can be done, except, you know, last year, but that was among other things. And if you know uh, if you where you go through the city on I-24, they're going to build the stadium on the footprint of where the parking lots are right next to it. So in between the highway and the stadium, which is going to also have repercussions for the IndyCar race, I believe, down there as well. That We've been talking about that a little bit. So um, because of the construction traffic and everything and how they're going to have to reroute stuff, um, they're going to have to do that. So, yeah. Did you get the cue there? I don't know what that means. I have <laughs> two, two minutes. minutes. Two minutes until I have to get yeah, out of here? Yeah, okay, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So that I know that's going to be... That's pretty cool. I've, I've enjoyed watching that race. They come up and over that... Uh, I can't remember what road that is that goes just north of the stadium, but they block that off for the IndyCar race. And I think it's a really cool temporary street setup that they have there, but I guess that's going to be... Um, because of the new stadium, that's going to be, I think, no longer available for that race. So who knows what's going to happen to the future of that IndyCar race. And in terms of how it impacts the Colts, if at all. Chris Boward mentioned it last week, slightly prompted with it of, would like to get a Super Bowl back here in Indianapolis for a number of different reasons. Obviously, we all have our, our biases of living here, but I think it's an incredibly well-run. Any event they do, that Super Bowl was especially, you would assume they're now behind the Titans in line for that process, unless they're able to put yeah. together a... I mean, everything is promised, right? Yeah. yeah, everybody's building a stadium. You're going to get your crack at it. This city and did not just a great job, did a exemplary job in hosting oh, yeah. the Super Bowl. And anybody that came to this town for the Super Bowl nationally has said it needs to have another one. There are a million factors that may not make that possible, but this city should be proud for what we were able to do to make that happen. And maybe in my lifetime, I think my 
my Black Sabbath loving son was in a wrap around my body. So it's been a decade. So maybe before he leaves the house and graduates from high school, I'll get to take him to a Super Bowl um, while he's still an actual dependent for things. Uh, speaking of dependent, we are dependent on everybody out there in mock draft land for getting us through Rough these waters. last couple of weeks. We'll add to the mix a little bit more. Luke Easterling from Athlon Sports joins us next. We'll talk about the Colts at four and everything else. It is the Fan Midday Show. Final hour here from the DriveHubler.com studios. That's Jimmy Cook. I'm your humble golf announcer, Will Haskett, talking football intelligently somehow over the last couple of weeks, or some might argue unintelligently. Debatable. Yeah, it's been somewhat debatable. <laughs> That's why we have to have guests on to guide us through this entire charade that is the NFL draft coming up tomorrow. I guess tomorrow's not the charade. Everything leading up to it has been a charade till the real deal happens and we actually have players selected and they have their final locations and we'll see how many everybody gets right. He is Luke Easterling, writes for Athlon Sports. You can read all of his stuff at athlonsports.com including his most recent mock draft was which was adjust, adjusted, I should say, a couple days ago after the finalization of the Aaron Rodgers trade to the New York Jets. Hey Luke, how are you? I'm doing great, Will. I tell you what, if, if I could uh, if I could talk about golf and sound like I know as much as you seem to know about the NFL, I feel like I'd be doing all right. I feel like you beat me in that category. So oh, I appreciate I think you're good. that. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I wish I could be doing an entire stats and analytics report on the Mexico Open at Vidanta coming up this weekend, but I don't think our listening audience is really down for <laughs> John Rahm being a 2-1 to one favorite to win, which you never see odds like that. That's a different conversation for a different time. Um, the odds are shifting quickly Luke depending on you know who's making them about which quarterback will go off the board second and that obviously has trickle down effects with the Colts at four I know you guys have sort of written about it I know you've had your sort of slotting of the value of these quarterbacks and you've been pretty steady in Bryce Young number one CJ Stroud being a top five pick and then it's kind of a stretch for people who are looking necessarily at, at Will Levis and, and maybe to a lesser extent for Anthony Richardson but how do you see tomorrow sort of falling out with all of the smoke that is now coming from every single outlet around the entire country. Smart and tell you I know exactly how it's going to go down, but I, I don't, and I think that's part of the uh, the intrigue uh, of this year's class is that you know as as things have become to they've crystallized a little bit around Bryce Young at number one, right, with the Panthers, but things have gotten much more foggy after that. So you know, to me, in terms of an evaluation standpoint, obviously I think C.J. Stroud should be that next guy off the board, but it's just a different conversation for different players, right? Anthony Richardson versus C.J. Stroud is a very different conversation because you're talking about a guy who might have a much lower floor in terms of his, you know, bust potential, I guess, but also I think has a way higher ceiling because of those rare physical traits and the the size, athleticism, the speed, the, the arm strength. I don't know that we've seen a combination quite like Anthony Richardson, maybe ever. And so that type of potential can definitely entice the team to make him the next guy off the board. Levis has some similar things in terms of the arm strength. He's not quite the athlete that Richardson is, obviously. Um, I think one of the biggest advantages for Will Levis and maybe what could be causing his rise up the board late here. And and, and when we talk about this rise up the board, it, it, he's not going anywhere, really. It's the media and, and odds makers may be catching up to what the league has already known and how the league actually feels about him versus what those of us who have been writing mock drafts for six months, you know, have been expecting him to, to land and where he, he should land. It's everybody catching up to the fact like, oh, man, you know, maybe, maybe they like him more than we thought. Maybe, maybe they like him more than we do. Um, and, and, and one of the reasons why, I think, is the experience in a pro-style offense. He's, he's had a very NFL-type responsibilities in the huddle at the line of scrimmage, the way they call plays, the way they're designed, the way he executes them. So, 
you know, a lot of times some of these college offenses can be kind of gimmicky and, and they're meant to succeed on Saturdays and not necessarily prepare you well for Sundays. I don't think that's the case with Will Levis. So when you, when you combine that with he's a real tough guy, um, he's competitive, I, I think he can, he can impress some coaches in the room and on the whiteboard with, with the way he approaches the game. And I think that may be the biggest reason why we see him maybe as the second quarterback off the board. Luke Easterling here with us on the Fan Midday Show. Luke, we had Matt Miller on yesterday, and he mentioned that he had Will Levis as the 30th best prospect overall, uh, right around the range that he had Hendon Hooker at. While you have 20 spots worse on the Will Levis grade, you also have him in the same spot as Hendon Hooker. If we're playing in a hypothetical where the Colts wind up with Levis at four, based on your evaluation, is all lost? Is it a reach off your board? And if... It's not all lost. Why should Colts fans be optimistic or be able to talk themselves into it if that is what happens at four? Yeah, yeah, I kind of agree with Matt. He's a he's a good old friend, and I probably wouldn't be here without him, to be quite honest. Um, I love him a lot. So with Levis, you know, the the reason you can sell yourself on it is because if if you don't have a quarterback, you have to get one. And if you have to get one, you're going to have to pay – Draft picks are kind of like the, the, the currency that's comparative to where quarterback contracts are now. You can look at what Derek Carr got in New Orleans. You can look at what Daniel Jones got to stay in New York and say, you know, in a vacuum, are these guys worth $30, $40 million a year? Maybe not. But what's it worth to you to not have a capable quarterback? What's it worth to you to have to start over, to have nothing there to sell to your fan base or to your locker room that, hey, we've got a guy under center that gives us a chance to win. And so if you don't have that guy, you're going to have to what will appear to be overpay, even though it's not overpaying because that's what the market says he's worth. That, that's the value for, you know, and we've seen it at other positions too. The, you know, the Bucks have, I'm down in Tampa, the Bucks have paid Donovan Smith $15 million for the last three or four seasons to be their left tackle. He's not, you know, he's an, an above average left tackle. That's how much it costs for an above average left tackle in the NFL nowadays. There's just not many of those guys walking around. So, you know, it's so it's interesting to compare the way we in the media stack these boards in a in a very macro, big picture way, versus how an individual team with very specific needs and a very specific situation will look and say, "Listen, the media might think this guy's the 50th best player in the draft, but if he's the third or fourth best quarterback, or maybe to us he's the second best quarterback, and we don't have one of those, and we have." You know, we see tools in his game that can develop into a franchise guy that can make a difference for us and, and lead us where we want to go, which is winning division titles, winning championships. It doesn't matter whether I have him 50th or Matt has him 30th or somebody else has a second-round grade on him or whatever. If you think that guy can be a franchise quarterback, he's not going to be there in the second round at the 50th pick or the 30th pick at the end of the first round. They don't last because quarterbacks are just too important. So the sell I would give to the Colts fans is, this guy has the tools in the right situation to be successful. And if he, if he does that at, your, at that position in particular, nobody's going to ever care or remember, and it won't matter whether he was 30th or 50th on some media board if you're in the playoffs and you're winning division titles with him. And that's just how important that position is. Appreciate the power of positive thought that Luke's bringing to <laughs> to all of this. Uh, we reserve the right to come back and talk quarterbacks, but I do want to go farther down the board, Luke, because the Colts have, I think, just as important of a pick coming up 35th overall in the second round. They may end up 
packaging some later picks to even bounce back up late into the first round. Uh, whether it's a weapon for whichever quarterback they take early, whether it's to provide a cornerback, which is probably the number one need on paper outside of the quarterback position for this group. You've got a, a burning questions piece that's up on Athlon Sports right now, and I was looking at how many cornerbacks could end up going in round one because there's just so many talented guys in this draft on the defensive side of the ball, especially outside. I just feel as if that second round pick is going to be somebody that plays on the edge, whether it's catching passes or defending people that catches passes for this Colts team. If you're sitting there beginning of the second round and you're not willing to move back in, what do you think the value is going to be on the board at that point in time in either one of those positions? Yeah, those those two positions are going to be really interesting to follow probably the back half of the first round, right? So, so I think we could see a run on each of them, particularly in the 20s because at receiver – Look who's picking in the 20s. You've got, you know, even Seattle at 20 could probably go that way if they want, you know, somebody to understudy behind Tyler Lockett and, and DK Metcalf. You've got the Chargers at 21, Baltimore at 22, uh, New York at 25, even Dallas at 26. You have so many teams that could use a receiver. And depending on when that first one comes off the board, Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State, we expect to be that guy. But the rest of that top, maybe five or six, could go in any order. Zay Flowers from Boston College, Quentin Johnston from TCU. Uh, Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee. There's so many guys in that next tier that you're not sure when teams are going to start that run, right? The corner class is just ridiculous. The corner class, I think I have 10 corners in my top 50 overall, which is just absolutely ridiculous. And there's something for everybody, all shapes and sizes, arm lengths, skill sets. you got guys that can do it all. you got slot guys. you got outside guys, speed guys, big physical guys, the long arms. you got literally something for everybody. So, I think at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, I think if there's a run on receivers early, that makes it less likely that they'll go there because yeah. I don't know that they'd want to reach for one of you know whoever the fourth or fifth guy in that list is. I feel like it's much more likely, even if we do have a corner run on the back half, I just think there's too many of them. There's weight, There's too many good corners to fit in the back half of the first round, and that's even with guys like Devon Witherspoon and Christian Gonzalez, likely top 10, definitely top 15 picks. Deontay Banks from Maryland should be going in that range. Um, but there's so many guys that just aren't going to be able to fit. Emmanuel Forbes from Mississippi State. Julius Brents from Kansas State is one of my favorite corners in this draft. Uh, Keely Ringo from Georgia. Cam Smith from South Carolina. There's so many guys. Somebody's going to be there. Somebody's going to fall. I feel like the, the best, the most likely scenario for them to find value and need is going to be at corner because there's just not going to be enough spots for them. We don't even have 32 first-round picks this year. We only got 31. Yeah, thank you, Miami. So yeah. There's, yeah, there's only... There's one more guy that could fall to you there. So I just think it's going to match up at corner better than it will at receiver in terms of value. Luke, anybody's guess is satisfying at this point when it comes to the Houston Texans. But just if you've, as you've gone through all of this, do you have any gut selection for what they're ultimately going to do it to? You know, I, I feel like the smart money, if I just t- try to block all the noise out and say what makes the most sense if they're not going to take a quarterback, because I think that should be the easy call to me. But consider the fact that D'Amico Ryans is coming from a 49ers experience where they could win a lot of games with a really good defense and a quarterback that just doesn't screw it up. And so if, if he kind of wants to build with that mentality, and obviously Nick Casario is the GM, it's going to have a, lot, a heavy influence on that as well. But if they kind of have a meeting of the minds and D'Amico's like, listen, we do not have to spend this pick on a quarterback for us to build a winner here. Will Anderson makes the most sense to me. That doesn't mean he's going to be the pick, even though I, you can draw some connections there. D'Amico Ryan played linebacker at Alabama. 
uh, in a different way, different different role. But but you know, Will Anderson being a star linebacker from Alabama, I'm sure doesn't hurt his chances of going there. But I think the dark horse guy to watch out for is an in-state guy. Tyree Wilson from from Texas Tech is a guy that has the kind of rare combination of the the size and the athleticism, the versatility, the length, and and the potential to be what we saw from Trayvon Walker last year. Going into that draft last year, even into the last few days, you had the Jaguars could do a million different things, and if they were going to take a pass rusher, you had two very proven, very polished guys in Kayvon Thibodeau and Aiden Hutchinson. And then at the last minute, Trayvon Walker, because of the combine, because of all the different things that he brings to the table physically, just jumped into that number one spot. Tyree Wilson has that type of ability, and I think that's why we could see him be the surprise pick at number two if they don't want to go quarterback and they want to just swing for the fences on the guy who has the most potential as opposed to Anderson, who I think is, if there's ever a sure thing in a draft, which there isn't, he's probably the closest thing we have in this draft. That's the dark horse for me is Tyree Wilson at two. Luke Easterling joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at Luke Easterling, reading stuff at Athlon Sports. Uh, This is a question I haven't really addressed as much because I feel like so much has been talking about these four quarterback prospects. And again, I'm going to take Bryce Young off the board because we we sort of know he's going to Carolina number one. That seems like the only sure thing that we know about. But, you know, a month and a half ago, Luke, it was would anybody trade two first round picks and pay big money for Lamar Jackson? Like, where was where was that traction going to go? If you believe some reports, Trey Lance could be on the trading block as well. You look at these three remaining quarterbacks on the board as prospects compared to what might be available out there in terms of trade i don't rule out the fact that there may not be trades tomorrow for picks but trades for players that are currently in sort of the nfl how would you how, how would you weigh the value of these prospects as quarterbacks coming into this draft versus maybe a couple of guys that are on the market if you will via trade yeah i think the biggest thing that's going to come into that conversation is money you've got to be the right team in the right situation with enough cap space and close enough, in your opinion, to being a contender to to warrant making a trade where you're giving up picks for the right to break the bank and give Lamar Jackson the contract that he's not getting from Baltimore, right? So, uh, you know, even Ryan Tannehill, if a, if a veteran guy like that was on the market, he's got a $34 million or something like that cap hit this year. So, you know, does he move the needle enough for you as a team who needs a quarterback to be able to think this guy can get us over the hump, get us to the playoffs, and it's worth the, the, the big money, it's worth giving up the picks, as opposed to taking an Anthony Richardson or a Will Levis or even a Hendon Hooker, a guy that whoever is in charge, GM, head coach, whoever, whether you're on the hot seat, whether you're just getting started, making that pick buys you time because you're, you're, you're going to be able to sell it to the ownership like, hey, we just got this brand-new quarterback in the building, it's going to take some time and patience, but we're going to do it, we're going to get it, we're going to get it turned around, and you're going to do it on a rookie contract, which is a lot cheaper, and you have four than five years with the fifth-year option to, to figure it out and build around the rest without giving up those extra picks to, to get a veteran guy. So I think it's got to take a very specific scenario where a team has enough cap space to absorb it, they've got enough of a, a supporting cast around whoever that quarterback would be to be successful, and it's got to be somebody they think moves the needle and gets them over the hump as opposed to the the financial and the, and the time considerations that would come along with spending that pick on a rookie. Luke, what's your evaluation of arguably the best tight end on the board in Notre Dame's Michael Mayer? Uh, Michael Mayer is is Jason Witten to me. Uh, I feel like that's the the best. Co- I don't I don't like pro player comparisons. I, I don't use them very often. But but when some when one jumps out at me, I, I have to kind of notice and, and and take take stock of that. Um, I think Dalton Kincaid from Utah is probably the best 
pure pass catcher in, in the class of tight ends, which is extremely deep, by the way. And I think if I had to pick a blocker, George's Darnell Washington is probably that guy, and I like his ceiling as a receiver. He, he hasn't been used much there, but I think he's basically an extra offensive tackle. I think Mayer is the best blend of both of those things. He may not be quite the pass catcher Kincaid is, may not be quite the blocker that Washington is, but he can do both of those things at an extremely high level, and I think he's one of the most polished and pro-ready players in the draft, period, regardless of position. So, you know, you might have a little bit more of a ceiling with a guy like Washington, might get a little bit more explosiveness in the passing game from Kincaid, but Mayer, again, is just uh, – there's no sure thing in this draft, but there never is. But but Mayer is a guy who I think has a very, very high floor. I think wherever he goes, that team is not going to be disappointed with him. He might not be Antonio Gates in terms of flashiness and, and explosiveness down the field, but I feel like he's a, a 12-year pro, pro bowler type of player that just doesn't really have a, a flaw in his game. If you're a wide receiver needy team like the Colts, and I understand that unless our – mock draft simulator that we just played out uh, lets this havoc happen, which would be him still available in the second round when they pick at 35, but when you look at a receiver needy team, is Mayer greater in terms of impact for a young quarterback than one of the wide receivers in this class? I, I think he could be, and because again, you, you give him you give it value in, in the run game as well as a blocker, and I think that when you do that and, and add the fact that you know what you're getting, he's gonna, it's going to be very tight, – tight end's not a, an easy transition position, right? There's a lot to learn. You have to be in offensive line meetings. You have to be in receiver meetings, basically. Like, not physically, but mentally you have, to, you have to be there in that way. You have to be able to be both of those things uh, at any given play. Um, so I think, I think Mayer is a guy who would make a more immediate impact. And, again, the receiver class is weird this year, too, because nobody is big. All of the best receivers in this class, save for a couple, are, are really small. Quentin Johnson from TCU is really the only top five receiver in this class that's above six foot and above 185. And then you got to go a little bit further down the list. Guys like Cedric Tillman from Tennessee, Jonathan Mingo maybe from Ole Miss. Everybody else is sub six foot and sub 185, basically. So it's a very small receiver class. I'm not saying those guys can't be, ta- can't be good players. They're, they're good at just about everything else. They're fast. They're, they run great routes. But if you want a big physical target, you're going to be waiting a while if you don't get Quentin Johnston, basically. So it, it, it's a weird receiver class. It's a deep tight end class. I think, again, Mayer is, is one of the most polished guys who's going to come in and give you added bonus in the run game as a blocker and a reliable target that you can count on at every level of the field. As a receiver, I feel like that does more for your quarterback than reaching for a receiver. Luke, the Colts have draft capital late in this draft, and I understand so many things happen, and we have no idea what's falling into the fourth or fifth round. The Colts have three fifth-round picks. But if you were to say, in terms of of mid-level talent depth, we talked about wide receivers and cornerbacks sort of early. If you had a glut of late picks in this draft, you'd be looking to stock up on what position group that seems to be you know just flush this year in this draft class? Yeah, again, I, I probably would double dip at corner, uh, you know, and, and it depends on who I got early. If Music I got, to Gus you know, Bradley's uh, ears right here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Gus Bradley's just, yeah. yes, come on, give me them corners. Well, and again, because because you need different guys for different roles. You know, if, if you if you spend 35 on a guy like Julius Brantz or Emmanuel Forbes, a guy that's going to play on the outside with the big, you know, the taller frame and the longer arms, then you can spend one of those fifths on a nickel guy, a guy, a guy that's going to be smaller but maybe tougher, uh, better short area quickness, and a guy that can line up in the slot and give you – give you a boost that way and also help you on special teams. So those late round picks are about taking chances on guys with athleticism and upside, maybe guys that got hurt 
and fell down the board, and maybe once they get back to full strength, you'll be able to, to make a steal out of those picks. And they're also for moving around earlier in the draft. You know, uh, if you have three fifth-round picks, I would be willing to bet that the Colts don't make all of them. You know, I'd be yeah. willing to bet that one of those picks gets used, if not more, to maneuver earlier on to get guys they want higher up the board. Um, but that's what you're trying to do in the later rounds. You're going to try to find guys, you know, who can make an immediate impact. Do I need a kicker or a punter? Who will actually make an impact this year? Do I need special team depth? So you're drafting athletes, you're drafting you know smart players, captains, guys that can make you know again high floor guys that can come in and be a good addition to your locker room uh, in terms of the culture. Uh, and you're looking to to swing for the fences on some athletic traits. Maybe a guy is not a complete player, but he's blazing fast. Well, we'll work on everything else, and we'll just use your rare speed as best we can. So that that's what you're trying to do on day three if you end up making all those picks. Luke Easterling with us here on The Fan. You can follow him on Twitter at Luke Easterling. Luke, I want to go to the other conference represented in the state in the Big Ten. I know you had a tweet about him yesterday, but what's your overall takeaways from Purdue's Corey Trice? Yeah, again, corners that are that big with that length and, and the ability to flip their hips and, and turn and run with receivers, they're, they're just there's not too many of those guys. So he's a guy I kind of came to late in the process. And once I saw his film and dug into it a little bit, I was like, wow, he's, he's a lot better than I, I expected. Um, and again, you know, look at a guy last year like, uh, like Tariq Woolen. I don't think he's on that level as an athlete, um, but a guy that went in the fifth round because people just, you know, oh, he's pretty raw. He's going to take some time to transition him from receiver. You know, I don't know how, how teams feel about Trice, but when I, when I actually dug into the film a little late in the process here, I saw a guy who, again, with the size and the length, the physicality and the, and the fluidity that he has, it's hard to find guys at that size who can do all those things well. Uh, I ended up with a third-round grade on him. Wouldn't be surprised if he goes that range or a little higher. If he goes lower than that, I think he'll be a bargain. Luke Easterling, always good stuff. Uh, Luke, enjoy the draft tomorrow and um, and then enjoy all of the, the second guessing that everybody will have coming up afterwards, whether it's on <laughs> too high, too low, mocks that were right, mocks that were wrong. It's always a fun time of year, and we'll have finally some closure, at least for round one, coming up tomorrow. Hey, always a pleasure, guys. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks, That's Luke. Luke Easterling. Lots of good stuff over there at Athlon Sports. I'm just sitting here flipping through and reading some of these things. and I hadn't even thought of I mean, He had in here you know, if any other – veterans would be moved and you know, we've heard rumblings like what's ryan Tannehill's future in tennessee is there any way to move away from that contract but he even had your like could they move away from derrick henry like does someone want that for a year and an expiring you know sort of player but to move that money i hadn't even thought about that but he's nearing his expiration date as running backs always have him a best if and the best player him. in this draft may be a running back yeah i mean it's crazy to think that i mean no one's really talking about me john robinson and what he can do but if this was 20 years ago he might be the number one overall sure. pick in the draft but that's just the way that things have been devalued speaking of veterans uh, we went through that entire interview and everything while the entire world was watching aaron Rodgers talk at his introductory jets press conference not that we need to go into it i just was i was laughing at two things watching that over your shoulders number one how small he looks compared to Robert Sala and Joe Douglas. <laughs> like he was, he was like the least yoked of the three guys sitting on that lectern. That's not a a criticism. It was just an observation. And the second one being how wild it must be to go from twenty years of your career or so, or a little bit less than that, dealing with the massive press swarm that is Green Bay, Wisconsin. It's like my boy Rob Demos- Demovsky and a couple other beat writers up there and maybe a, tele- a local television outlet or two to New York City 
as he's just getting peppered with questions over and over again. I mean, just the level of quality of life of what your media availability is from Green Bay compared to New York is so night and day that I I wonder even if someone of a superstar magnitude of Aaron Rodgers is sitting up there at that thing going, oh man, these these pressures are going to be a little bit different than they have been in the friendly northern confines of Green Bay, Wisconsin. What made me chuckle in terms of quotes that came out, he walked by the Super Bowl three trophy, took a glance at it, and then he told the media, I noticed walking into it in the building, saw the Super Bowl three trophy right there. Looks a little lonely. Little 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 easy sweet. haha soundbite. So sweet. Yeah, I'm just... so tired. I'm so <laughs> flipping tired of Aaron flipping Rogers. I'm tired. I need to go and find a dark shed in the woods somewhere yeah. just to get away. You have to do that for the next three the years. Universe of Aaron. You three? thought the Green Bay cover? Well, let's say three. Let's say he's there three years. Let's just say for sake of argument. I know it could be as small as one. You don't know with Aaron Rodgers, right? But for the sake of argument and your vacation planning and your new lodge cabin in the woods, mm-hmm. three years because you thought it was insufferable when he was in Green Bay. Oh, <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. Mike Greenberg was probably at that press conference just <laughs> lobbing up all the all the questions too. The fan has his way. Um, it's it's just it's fascinating just kind of where that has gone. I mean, a lot of Teflon too. I mean, I thought Green Bay got decent value, but because you knew you were going to move on eventually from him. Is Green Bay in a better place without Aaron Rodgers this year? Probably not. Are they in a happier place? Yeah, probably. I mean, I think it was starting to become a bit of a headache to kind of deal with. But it's interesting that, you know, his nice message yesterday thanking the fans. Everything has been done right this week in terms of the transition. But, I mean, he's just kind of – he's held that he held Green Bay hostage for a couple of years in terms of decisions and what needed mm-hmm. to happen and personnel and everything that sort of comes with it. And he gets his way, and we'll see if – we'll see if that karma – tracks with him to new york it's gonna be fascinating to watch him play i was fine i was fine with everything that he did everything that he did up until he wind up signing the extension because i thought he was done yeah he was trying to force his way out and he wanted to go somewhere else which makes a lot of sense you played your entire career in green bay they have not shown over consecutive first rounds a willingness to go get you a weapon in the nfl draft right in fact they go and draft your replacement instead or at least in theory you replacement instead in jordan love then he signs the extension and i didn't understand him anymore i didn't get it because it's like all right are you just reserved to the money that's there and you're fine with going to green bay or do you want to win again and then it turns into this whole cycle of chaos and darkness retreats and now all the dust is settled and if you haven't gotten a jets futures ticket in i don't know where they're at right now but if you're playing long odds might as well sprinkle it on there because they're going to be fun long as he's available, they're going to be fun. And they're one of your 10 teams, right? They are. Yeah. I okay. saved them for that reason. Right. Yeah. Do you think the Jets give him the Zava treatment? <laughs> Zava. <laughs> yes, I do. I do. Zava loves Zava. It's a Zava. Ted Lasso reference for yeah. those that Zava aren't aware. Loves I've not seen last night's episode, so I. no one spoiler alert it for Oh, me. I have. Can I spoil? There are no I spoiler spoil? alerts on this I show. Have, I've seen We it. do not spoil I've it. Seen Actually, it. my wife's out of town, so I'm not going to be able to watch it until this weekend. So, good thing I'm not in here you the next couple of days. It. Well, it, I heard it's the restaurant episode or something. Lots of restaurants involved. It's in a it, boring so. episode. I'm, Is it? It's a transition. <laughs> I, heard, I heard it was really good. Uh, from I, I know, watched it. I, I'm just handing this out uh, for no other reason, but you know, I'm at 
VJ Cook, he's at Will Haskett, just for for what that's worth. I don't know what you would do with that information, oh, but you know. Oh, <laughs> I see what's happening here. I see what's happening here. I'm not checking my mentions today, actually, at all, because I, I did a thread last night that kind of went crazy. So I've got a lot of people that have been chiming in. So it's been hard to dig through the mentions today. One time every month when you strike social media gold. All right, we'll continue diving into this. A lot to unpack from three great conversations today. Thanks to all of our guests, Ross Tucker, Joel Erickson, and Luke Easterling for all of their insights and information. Um, this is my last time in here this week, so maybe I'm going to have to make the ultimate pick. I've already made my pick as Shane Steichen, but I don't know if I've actually made my pick as Will Haskett, so we'll figure I out what, know what that is. looks like. Uh, we'll wrap things up uh, this last half hour. It's uh, flying by on a Wednesday here on The Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. It is the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, I'm Will Haskett, Eddie Garrison, keeping us mindful of our P's and Q's today. Uh, 9.30 p.m. tonight, Warriors at Kings, Game 5. That is must-listen to here on the Fan. That is one of four games in the association tonight. Knicks-Cavs as New York tries to close out that series in Cleveland. I really thought this was going to be an even better series than it has after Game 1. We'll see what donovan mitchell and company have for the knicks tonight heat and bucks tonight miami leading the series three to one i'm sure we'll talk about this coming up in the next segment when you guys are looking at the lines i mean milwaukee obviously it's a must win Giannis, i mean i just i mean the heat could just show up and just take a couple of folding chairs out and just sit on the bench and eat some popcorn and jimmy butler could just not play the second half and be like you know what we'll just go back to miami let's just go ahead and take this thing right back to miami and then again the warriors kings game tonight is going to be uh epic last check i think De'Aaron fox says he's going to give it a go with that broken finger so we'll see how that plays for the kings that could be something that backfires but that is an absolutely massive game in that series for whoever obviously wins in a 2-2 tie coming up tonight. Four games in the association. Two series closed out last night, and the one that didn't was probably the one that we all expected to close out. That was the Celtics unimaginably allowing Trey Young to have any sort of space on the last play. I mean, it's hard to be mad at Jalen Brown, Jimmy, for sagging off 28 feet away from the basket, but, I mean, come on. Jimmy, you had two burgers in that game. He's he, I did two thirty burgers. With a ton of burgers. With a ton of burgers all the way around. And even though I didn't put him in the plays, this is the Trey Young that in the if I'm getting my my beginning my years messed up, not That's because right. of I'll old be age too. or dementia, but because of COVID, and it still impacts uh, where my playoff memories scrape by. But his epic performances at MSG against the Knicks in yeah. 2021 or whenever that was. He's now got 32, 35, and 38. Yes, he's still at times, more often than not, a liability on defense, but he's fun, he's exciting, and this series now has a new breath of life. I'm not saying that it's 
going to not go Boston's way. I think they ultimately do close this thing out. But that was a game where I had it on a secondary device, wasn't really fully focused on it until late. And now it's back on my radar of, okay, let's see how the Celtics respond and how do you adjust? Are you going to let Trey Young go get 40 this time? Are you going to continue to see his point totals go up? Or are you going to finally crush the bug, so to speak, and silence this thing and get ready for your next series? He may get to a a pork tenderloin. I don't know. (laughs) Burger is a common phrase. Burger is a common phrase across basketball. It's, it's not like I'm just it's throwing any out combination food of points probably above a certain level. It has to start with 30, right? But 30 burger, 40 burger, 50 burger. It would be If you get to 50, it's certainly a tender one. It would be nice if you added that. It's like in golf, you know, if you have 3 birdies in a row, it's a turkey. Sure. If you have 4 bird uh, 4 birdies in a row, some people actually call that the mythical water buffalo. Wow. A lot. Um, you realize pack, I am, quartet, I, well, I'm so outside my mind yeah, yeah. in terms of what you're talking about that you could tell me that lots it's of different circles, a flying peacock. And I would yeah. tell you lots that, of oh, different yeah, circles you know, of things. So I think if you get to 30, that could be a 30 burger. But I'm I'm with Eddie on this one. If you get to 40, it's a it's a 40 double pounder or it's a I don't know. It's a 40 it's a whopper, whopper. It's a 40 well steak sandwich. <laughs> it's a 50 gets you, a, a, you know some lobster on the side you know we just keep adding to this feast that you're getting the more and more points you get you know, there are two foods that i want to hear 60 about caviar a burger of any kind and barbecue chicken that's all that's all i need to hear barbecue chicken no smothered 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 chicken really is that what i said barbecue chicken i know but you said the only food you need are those two no and when it comes to basketball the only food i want to hear about burgers and barbecue chicken and maybe not fries. You can get a burger and barbecue chicken we without that? any fries. We learned that from Ross Tucker <laughs> earlier today. I'm on a waffle fry craze right now. I ordered some. My daughter and I went and got a snack the other day at, at the at the club, and we were sitting there, and I said, well, we can't have a full meal. We're going home to have dinner. And I didn't want to just get, like, the, the chip mix. So we just ordered a thing of waffle fries, and she never had waffle fries before she was seven years old. Well, she has, but she forgot what waffle fries were, so she was hesitant. And I was like, no, trust me, you're going to like this. And we sat there, and we crushed this basket of waffle fries. And I was like, oh, my gosh, these are so stinking good. I'm trying to behave myself here. And normally I would get, like, steamed vegetables with a sandwich because I'm old, and that's what we do when you get older. And... I've just been, I mean, just, I can't stop. They're like, what do you want with your sandwich, sir? I was like, waffle fries. You have waffle fries? Yeah. Power on. That's pile those bad boys on here right now. I'm ready for some more waffle fries. I'm right up there with you. Chick-fil-A waffle fries Very are good. divine. No doubt about it. I do like, though, the angle that Ross presented to us in terms of looking at fries, maybe like you would a running back. I might, might have to go the, the two chicken sandwich route. That's right. I'm okay. going two chicken yeah. sandwich, not, oh, yeah. not no nuggets. Going two chicken sandwiches. I did that coming down here. I had to get a quick bite to eat, and I hate getting fast food, but I did. I swung through, and I got chicken tenders and a roast beef sandwich. Ooh. And instead of, they're like, do you want, you want a meal? No. I don't want the saturated fat that comes with whatever the fries are no just give me the chicken and give me the uh unless it's chick-fil-a lemonade then you're and give me the um and give me the sandwich so that worked out really well um yeah love that the sweet potato waffle fries always in play i've had some where you get like the sweet potato waffle fries with like the the marshmallow sauce yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. oh man well, that's that's some good stuff as well. Can we at least agree though that the the good solid steak fry is just a baked potato masquerading as something unhealthy for you? Yes, it's a lot of potato going on in those things. But with the right seasoning, it can still carry the day. But that's a cyst, right? Best Performance steak. enhancing there on the fry. This is before your times. 
um, there used to be a burger place called Flaky Jake's. Don't have it for you, yeah, no. Yeah, no. So my location as a kid growing up was always in Castleton. I don't know if there were, I think there may have been one on the south side. I think I may have even heard Jake talking about this on the show the other day or busted out one of the old school names. And it was this, I, mean, I remember it as a little kid as the greatest establishment in the history of restaurants, which obviously isn't the case because it'd still be around if it truly was the greatest thing of all time. But it was right up there on 82nd Street in Castleton. And you ordered a burger and they had a buffet bar. And I mean, it was the largest salad bar you would ever see, but it was just for your burger. So, I mean, various pickles and lettuce. That's when I learned the value of barbecue sauce on a burger, you know, the cheeses that you want. And then their fries were the big, thick cut ones, but they were like super crispy and seasoned. And I always like the little ones when you get like the little end one, because that would be the one that would be the most fried with the least amount of potato. <laughs> and I always think about that when I think about steak fries, because it was like the good steak. But I was probably, you know, I was a sweaty, fat kid, little eight year old, nine year old, whatever it was. And I just devoured flaky jakes when i went to that place so if anybody out there you know once was a part of that franchise and like to bring it back and need some investors like we could probably make that happen somewhere on the northeast side again i'm just right right up my alley the shop in indy i just searched flaky jakes still they have a t-shirt they have a flaky oh, jakes t-shirt God so there you go them. you can you can turn back the clock there for yourself yeah because we established yesterday that you were like in high school when i was ugh, I don't even know no no, no it was it was you were six i was six when years I was old interning here yeah yeah no. That's great. Circle of life, my friend. Uh, I did sort of jokingly <laughs> ask this question back to the NBA. Um, if Steph Curry didn't exist, how would we view Trey Young right now? The second coming is always less heralded than the first coming of whatever that new thing is. You would view him as an incredible shooter and a shot creator, but I don't think that on both ends, because Steph... Again, smaller, undersized guard. You're going to think, all right, mouse in the house, defensive liability. Steph, for a time early on, particularly in those initial Cavs-Warriors series, like that often got overblown. He wasn't as bad of a defender for what he was going up against, people said. With Trey Young, it's clear possession by possession. You saw them attack him late in that Celtics-Hawks game the other night. They're going to go seek him out. Right. I don't think it's... It's definitely not viewed in the same way as blown away, transcend the league completely the trickle-down effect that yes. happened from all the way down to youth basketball. But I think he's still a fun, exciting electric player. And I think it's now, well, he, he can shoot it from that far out. Right. Why, why can't I try to master accuracy from that far out? Right. I think it it has some type of impact, but not nowhere near the level. And it also begs the question, too. It's like, without Steph, would Trey be the player that Trey is without the influence sure. and everything in terms of it? Because, you know, he's young enough that he was seeing what was going on and then was able to, sure. you know, manipulate his skill into being the player that he is and last night it was the player that they needed 38 and 30 i mean 13 assists too i mean you, you drop a 38 burger that's for you eddie <laughs> 30 burger and a 13 milkshake right. or whatever the assists okay. were on top of it it was Dines. a very delicious all right now a very delicious performance from trey young last night um with a side of fries <laughs> from his teammates in that fourth quarter where they scored 37 <laughs> anything else i don't know we're running we're running out of food metaphors <laughs> you are I was also, I no, you want to get back to the draft or please is that what you knew? Oh, yes back to the draft um the colts i'm hungry now too so thanks yeah the colts at four i have some watermelon over here I'm okay thank you though. did you say watermelon i did is that a watermelon okay is that like a new rapper 
Water and Malone. <laughs> you went post Malone yeah, too. Yeah, I did. Yeah, so, did I. Right, so did I. I was very confused right for a second. There. Yep. Yep. All right. The Colts tomorrow draft draft coverage here on the fan seven o'clock. I would like to Friday. pass the ball to you. Yes. Because and. I think that's where you're leading off. But anyway, I, I'm in here tomorrow. You let off with four. The Colts where, at four. Where, where's your Where's your GM cap at now? I'm so hopeful that C.J. Stroud is there, which it seems more and more likely it will be. Wouldn't trade up. And it's so crazy in this sort of stretch, and it's been so nice of you guys to let me sit in here for the last couple of weeks, and and we talked through this, and I feel like the first time we were here, it was, well, C.J. Stroud was never going to be available, but that's my favorite quarterback prospect, and we would just gloss over him. We were just having the Levis-Richardson conversation in a 50-50 value with do you go up and try and get in position to get C.J. Stroud and would the Texans ever listen to you? No. So gosh darn it, they're not going to get either of the top two quarterbacks because it's so wild to think that two, three weeks ago we're sitting here saying there's a tier one and then there's a tier two in prospects and now Bryce Young is just sort of off the board and signing deals every day to sell Snickers and whatever it is that he's selling next. It's like he's already in the league. You know, it's like we have his poster and our kids have their sh- his shoes. Like he's already a Carolina Panther and somehow he took that entire tier of quarterbacks with him and just left CJ Stroud to fall off of it back down into the yep. the shallow end with Anthony Richardson and Will Levis. And so if this draft does play out the way that many are thinking it does. And I and I, we've made the case on here. I think it's completely appropriate for the Texans to get a game-changing defensive player at two and either use the capital later in the first round and next year when you still have two first-round draft picks to, like Eddie was talking about, maybe even move up into seven, eight, six, wherever it might be to get a quarterback or wait and see if one of those guys falls to you at 12 or play the Hendon Hooker waiting game or any number of scenarios that sort of play out. So with that said, if three is there and you're not willing to trade into that spot and someone goes and gets C.J. Stroud, I guess that happens and you're left with it. But it just feels like more and more, I just don't know how much value there is. And there's more and more national guys. And again, a lot of the rumblings are coming from a variety of different places. But people are saying like there just isn't as much scuttlebutt that any of the quarterbacks beyond Bryce Young are so valuable that they're worth the cost to go up. And if Arizona is dead set on getting rid of that pick for any asset, then they'll eventually move it. But if they're not going to get at least equal trade value and go to that trade chart, I can't imagine them squandering when they can take the best offensive lineman or maybe Wilson or maybe Jalen Carter and you get a defensive sort of plug because they have so many holes necessary. So roundabout way, I think the Colts, I can see this path down to CJ Stratton. If he's there, you have to take him because I just don't know what has happened in the last two and a half weeks to this thought that he is somehow on the same level when it was never treated on the same level. It was, what's, who's going to be at one, Young or C.J. Stroud? Oh, they picked Young. And now all of a sudden C.J. Stroud is the fourth quarterback off the board. doesn't make any sense to me. You go get the guy that's the most proven pocket passer of the three remaining guys, and you saw movability traits out of him in that game against Georgia, which to me was the tape that mattered the most. Agreed. And you help him blossom into using his legs when he needs to, but you're not having to worry about teaching away some of the pocket mistakes that the other two guys need seasoning for. So it's to me, it's CJ Stroud, no matter what. Nice. And if he's not there at four 
and it's Levis and Richardson because again, that's Bijan very Robinson, possible. Baby, give me Jonathan Taylor. We won. The, we won the. We won the wishbone, and we just go wishbone it up, and we'll trade two first, future first round picks for Lamar Jackson, and you just run a total wishbone offense with Jonathan Taylor, Robinson, Lamar Jackson, and that's how we go. That's how we go. We can move all of the wide receivers. We don't even need them. Jim we'll, take, just- we'll take tight ends later. We move all of the wideouts out. We just go full tight end set. Four tight ends, two wingbacks, Robinson and Taylor, Lamar Jackson run the show, and we just run spread option right down the AFC South's throat. Jim Irsay just added a fourth Lombardi trophy in the next 10 years after hearing Jim, that you know you Jim, hey, you know it sounded good, Jim. <laughs> you know it did. You know yeah, it did. CJ Stroud, no matter what, I put it on a post-it note. All right, we wrap things up. We'll make some money coming up next year. It is the Fan Midday Show, 93.5107.5. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. So this is quality rock and roll music. This is how you. This is how you limp into being a rock and roll fan. Like I, I just, I'm having a really hard time dealing with a 12 year old just immediately into heavy metal. Like I mean, oh well, my problems are not your problems. Colts have no problems if they dr- draft the right guy tomorrow. We'll see if they get it right again. Colts draft coverage. 7 o'clock tomorrow and Friday here on the fan. Warriors Kings 9:30 p.m. tonight for coverage there. It's a really good weekend, and not just the draft, but IndyCar's in Alabama this week. Their last race before the month of May is here, and we've got the Grand Prix and then the greatest spectacle in racing. So all sorts of fun things coming up. My thanks to Ross Tucker, to Joel A. Erickson, to Luke Easterling for all joining today. We learned lots of fun things that uh, we just add to the millions of fun things we've been talking about with this draft, and all that we can do now is roll it out tomorrow and do it so officially one day and six no five hours and 40 minutes until the colts are on the clock with the fourth overall pick coming up tomorrow jimmy sounds right to me i didn't do the math i assumed you had the counter i don't have the you, counter up as you lazy. did that project i yeah. was like eh, i think yeah, we're just no. trying to we're getting close enough now i needed it last week but it's like how many days is that does it count tomorrow oh yeah you gotta carry the one and then it's Wednesday, and then it's, is it a leap year, and is it the summer solstice? I, you know, you got to put all that in there to figure out when it's going to be. All right, there are four NBA games tonight after three last night, a couple of closeout possibilities. There are some intriguing lines? I don't know. We'll let the fellas discuss. Let's go. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. It's an overfest did in you see, totals By the way, today. did you see Sandler at the game the other night? I did. How comfortable does he look? I mean, just, just living his life. If there's anybody that is comfortable within oh, their own the shell, best. it's Adam Sandler. He's a poster challenge for that.
tip of the cap to him and right, go ahead. having him involved within our plays of the day sounder. But it is an overfest in point totals tonight. Going to take Jimmy Butler over 29.5 for the Miami Heat tonight against the Milwaukee Bucks. In that same game, over 30.5 for Giannis Antetokounmpo. Jumping around a little bit with these props, over 29.5 for Donovan Mitchell tonight for the Cavaliers as they host the Knicks in a gotta-have-it winner-go-home game. Also going to take Anthony Davis over 22.5 total points tonight when the Lakers take on the Memphis Grizzlies. Taking the Warriors to one of the money line in Sacramento tonight. That at minus 125 juice. And to close things out, Manchester City to win outright today over Arsenal in a oh, critical, shoot, that's today, critical matchup. Between I mean, the two you, at the top of the table. You're wearing the jersey. I forgot. They said a 3 o'clock Three kick? o'clock. Right oh, after, my gosh. Right I'm going to get home show. and see the second half. Yep. Oh. So, there you go. I'm actually dead serious. I'm going to watch that game. I That's became why. a Man City fan on the uh, the Amazon Prime series that followed them around yeah. for a year. Oh, it was mm-hmm. really fun. So, I've, yeah. It's Teddy? like rooting for the evil empire. Uh, I was also going to take the over on Giannis. I think he has to have a big game for them in order to win tonight. I'm going to take the under 202.5 in Cavs. Knicks, really? this game is yet to eclipse 200. Ooh. Every game has featured it's a true. team under 100 points. The way these two teams play benefit the under more so than the over. Uh, looking into the Memphis Grizzlies-Lakers game, I was looking at Dylan Brooks under, but I can I can just never pull the under on a guy when it's at 12.5, just in case, you know, he makes a couple shots. I like Rui Hachimura under 11.5. He's been big for them in the series so far, but some regression towards the mean. Uh, MLB-wise, not a lot sticks out. A lot of mediocre pitching or guys coming off the injured list making their first starts tonight, so I'm not really laying anything on MLB tonight. How about you, Will? The last time I was in this chair doing this with a Miami Heat Milwaukee Bucks game coming up that night, it was last week. The Heat were playing the Bucks after having <laughs> one game one. They were getting eight and a half with no Giannis. And I said, geez, that seems like it could happen. And they ended up losing by like 5,000 points. The Bucks are laying 12. The Heat are getting 12 points tonight. It was 11 points yesterday. Tonight. It was 11 They're getting yesterday. 12 yep. points tonight. Yep. I'm taking the Bucks minus 12. Wow. I have wager. already been burned. That is a state. I have wager. been burned by this scenario before. I honestly believe the Heat may have left half of their team in Miami on South Beach, just resting up for Game Six. The Bucks. You know what's the? Give me the line in the first quarter. I'm going to take whatever the Bucks is minus in the first <laughs> quarter. I'm going to parlay that with minus twelve for the game. Just give me all the Bucks stock you got tonight. <laughs> And that's my irresponsible. I literally just researched that a second ago, and I'm going 100% on emotion from last week. Those are sometimes the best kind of bets. But I am surprised, though. I thought you were going to go the other way because you talked about it yesterday with that same story of, oh, that's a lot of points. Well, you might try to scoop the 12. You might salivate The there. problem with this is, is they'll probably be down 18 the entire game and then lose by 11. You know, that's what's yeah. going to end up happening is that the Bucks will be in complete control because it was like a 30 point game last week in this same scenario. And then it ended up being like, I think the final score was like 16 or 17 points or something was the decider when it was all said and done. So that's it's a lot of points. Again, listen to those guys. Don't listen to me. I'm just trying to get right from last week and I just want to see this go my way. So I'm going to. I'm going to go the other direction on this. I'm going to see if I can single game parlay this all together. I should probably do this one more off the air, not when I'm trying to close the show over the last two minutes. All right, so I'm CJ Stroud no matter what. That's my post-it note. You are? 
Well, that's a hard. I, I'm I'm CD Stroud also, no matter what, unless of course the caveat, which could still happen, it's just Levis and Richardson. In which case, I'll take Richardson, and that's fine. So the draft is tomorrow. These guys will have you from noon to three. The guys in the morning tomorrow. Everybody leading up to draft coverage. I have a funny feeling this show tomorrow may be a bit more pro Will Levis. I'm just going out there on a limb. I'm not really sure if that's going to be the case, but I'm just saying. I, just, I get that sort of. Vibe. Who's in with you tomorrow? Weird Starbucks orders, by the way. I'm sure for the morning show listening audience oh my gosh uh, no doubt they, about they left that. the mayo in the fridge do you want to go have a <laughs> yeah, dollop okay. on your way out i'm okay i'll pass on that uh, it'll be myself and brian no along with eddie garrison tomorrow yeah. and friday a lot of will have this chat tomorrow i, I can feel yeah. that i can feel that coming your guys's way so good luck with that uh, my daughter reads junie b jones great book uh for anybody out there with young kids she's like kind of a um cranky little kindergartner and they were on a kid they were on a field trip to the farm and she was with her friends and this book was written in the 90s. This is like the 1950s. And these three little girls on a field trip to the farm had egg salad, tuna salad, and crab salad sandwiches. And I was like, what world has seven-year-old, <laughs> six-year-old girls going on an outdoor sack lunch field trip with egg salad, tuna salad, and crab salad? But it made me think about the mayo today, because I'm sure that Duke's mayo would have been very delicious in any combination of the salads. Sounds like it was a very exquisite lunch that was happening for, for that picnic. Some tea probably involved as well. It was. Enjoy the draft tomorrow. Thanks to Eddie. Thanks to Jimmy. Thanks to everybody for thanks listening. To you. Thanks for those that gave us our roles in the chat today. We appreciate you. John's in next.